0: This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com. The only place to be in your pop culture world.
1: Hello, one and all, and welcome to episode 26 of Through the Years, the podcast that recaps Ring of Honor show by show from from the beginning. I screwed up my own intro. Uh, As always, I am Trevor Dame, and as always, I'm joined by Matt Feuerstein, my partner in crime. How you doing, Matt?
2: Does this mean that we like... Met on a dating app if I'm your partner in crime because that is what people say they're looking for, right?
1: On OKCupid, I was, uh, I was interests crime and you like were there under the shared interests for crime, larcenies, like, petty felonies.
2: Both enjoy crime time. Um, also, who's going to screw up your intro if not you? So I don't really see that yeah, as a problem exactly. either. Anyway, hi. hi. How are you?
1: <laughs> hi. We actually, uh, we're more than two today. We have uh, yet another guest, and yet another great first-timer guest who is involved in wrestling, involved in podcasting, and who was at this show. Seems like all our guests basically fit that triangle of qualifications and you might know this person if you're an old jerk like me you might or even an old nice guy you might remember this guy from the Pararusu power hour which was one of the earliest um japanese wrestling podcasts at least that i can remember with mike sempervivi and uh you might remember from his show dr keith presents which definitely doesn't give away who this person is Not at all Uh, oops And uh, you might also now know him probably best, maybe, as one of the minds behind AAW, which is one of the top indie promotions in the United States. It's Dr. Keith Lipinski. Thanks for being on, Dr. Keith.
0: Guys, thank you for having me on. Uh, as I was going to mention earlier, but I decided to save it from the show, I really enjoy this podcast. When when the, when you guys feel like doing the shows, which is a Dr. Keith schedule, which I prefer, I really, really always like to sink my teeth into them. So this is this is great. As someone that was with Ring of Honor from the start, remembering getting that VHS tape from RFvideo.com uh, back in the day, like Ring of Honor is something to me as someone that was a big huge ECW fan, that basically you know sort of followed when ECW left, it was sort of like, what, what what can I do? What can I follow? Someone help me, Feinstein Feinstein, help me!
2: And then, so, of course, Ring of Honor happened. And you, I, and I, and, n- and never and never game? ever have that request again. If you need someone to help you, there are lots of other people out there that you might want to call first. I mean, I don't know, I'm just saying.
1: No, when you guys edit this, we can put the
0: Wild Boys by Duran Duran. <laughs> right, guys. Uh, yeah, but-
1: Finds that could help you if you're Bret Hart and you need to make somebody doing an autograph signing. I mean Rob can hover over you and then according to the Laps fan guys, like get you a five minute podcast interview with him if you slip him some money. So I feel like the more Rob, we talk
2: about I feel like the more we talk about Rob Feinstein, the more trouble this is going to be worth. So maybe we should move right on
1: Okay, we'll save that for an episode next year. But I had all
0: this material on the RF Video (laughs) website and its new scrolling service back in the year 2003, so now all this material is gone, guys. I'm just going to have to sit there and just, this is where you insert the sound of me tearing paper up, so, (laughs) yeah.
1: This is going to be actually where we insert our usual plug for the Place to Be Nation pro-wrestling-only podcast network, although... It appears that that network is splitting a bit. We are still, as I understand it, there's been a bit of confusion, but are going to be on the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network, and we're still, I think, going to have posts promoting the show on the Place to Be Nation. And I just want to say, much like a lot of divorces – Mommy and Daddy are both great people. Just because they couldn't stay together doesn't mean they don't love you, and they're both worthy of your time. There's great podcasts on both networks that I will continue to listen to, Then you should subscribe to both networks. And just in case something ever does go weird, just remember, at Trevor Dame on Twitter and at Mayor MGF on Twitter, if something weird ever happens with the show, we will let you know there for sure where we go. But for now, from what I understand everything should continue as normal. They've made special accommodations for us because we bring in the, the giant huge amount of listeners, right? Matt? The revenue,
0: the revenue yes. that you guys bring in while are, are allowing mommy and daddy to sit there and exploit you guys like the Gary Coleman S characters that you are. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I, you know, as long as you realize guys, it wasn't your fault. And if it was,
2: you know what? Good for you guys breaking that marriage apart. Yeah, I know. I'm. I feel like I'm just. It was impressive on my part to be able to do that because they they were going to love each other forever, and I was like, you think so? You think you are? But wait till I get a hold of you.
1: That network was around for quite a while before we joined, and then yeah. took us a good year to crater it. So I can ruin. I, know, I right can ruin
2: there. anyone's relationship, my own, <laughs> others, the parents. It's. It's just it's just a skill that I have. Just just crawl back to Cubs fan. Just <laughs> that, that's all.
0: Like Cubs fan. Cubs fan will love you no matter what. So
2: actually, this is this is a friends. conversation that we literally have had. So so you are we are one step ahead of you right there.
1: <laughs> um, speaking of Cubs, actually, Cubs gave me a hot scoop. I believe he is in California for PWG weekend, and so he got to at least. I don't know if he bore witness to this or just heard it, but Rob Naylor is doing some uh, shoot interviews at PWG Weekend, uh, as you do, as at least 15% of the U.S. population does. And uh, he was doing an interview with a wrestler, and they revealed that this wrestler, and it's someone who has worked for AAW, came up with the original Ring of Honor logo and their original catchphrase, we don't imitate, we innovate. Dr. Keith, do you know who this person is? You're really
0: putting me on the spot for my first question. Can we talk about my scroll material again? I mean, this is
1: worth 350 points. Really? So that's a pretty okay. Pretty big question.
0: Do what? Can I phone a friend? Can I? Uh, Definitely. Let's see. Well, if it's someone it that there, Nailor. it was someone that was. was it Rob Naylor was. Rob, no. I wish I could actually call Rob Naylor as opposed to. I believe I'm blocked on Rob's call list. I'm kidding, of course. What
1: <laughs> what I, what I was I like told I is this person he um. He and his brother both entered the Ring of Honor. I guess originally had a contest to develop the first Ring of Honor logo. The winner would get uh, free tapes. And this guy and their brother both sent in entries. The brother became a graphic designer. But the guy who won did not become a graphic designer. Instead became a pro wrestler that has worked for AAW among quite a few places.
0: Really? Is, is, this, is this wrestler retired?
1: No, they are still active. In fact, they were... This is might be giving away too much, so I won't say it.
0: Okay. Well, you should. or you should, actually.
1: Like, okay. They are a wrestler on the Bola card.
0: They're a wrestler on the Bola, like on this year's Bola card. So yes. this is someone that's wrestling in the year of our Lord 2018. So, yes. And they're re- responsible for, were they responsible for the big handshake shirt that I used to have with a strong style logo?
1: No. I think they, the only Would thing they be? Was- told me is this person was responsible for the original logo the original slogan and apparently people doing this shoot interview were i don't know how common knowledge this is but apparently the people there were pretty surprised that this person was responsible
0: i mean i how how, how surprised do you think i am because i I know trevor lee wasn't born yet when this (laughs) happened so Um, like you know uh, I, i i as you could tell i'm just looking through names right now like <laughs> okay. like i'm i'm looking through names and i'm trying to figure out ages and such i know i know gabe wasn't that big on shingo back when this got started so I'm trying to think of old wrestlers. I, 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 I I'm not. Gonna, I'm gonna sit there and just throw out the wild card. Marco Stunt was the person no. behind all this stuff.
1: It was Puma King, and obviously Ryan Satin. You screwed up oh. again. No.
0: Well, um, I can understand now. If if Ryan Satin can't get it, do you think I can? You know, no, actually, got Hollywood contacts and TMZ, and he's just all over the place. I'm still up in Chicago. Actually, it was DJ Z. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Oh, that
0: makes sense. He's yeah. been around
1: forever, you know? Definitely. So, yeah, I uh, th- we don't really have any news that happened between the last show and this one, so that's a nice little bit of trivia, though, to tie people who have a massive thirst for 15-year-old Ring of Honor news. But we, we'll we just go right to the chase, because this, this was a meaty show. This was a f- four-and-a-half-hour, two-tape or double-disc show, but we will be cutting... Some There was a lot of segments during the show that were Murphy Rec Center memories. This was the final show in the original Ring of Honor home base, the Murphy Rec Center. So there were lots of very lengthy clips of past big matches at the Murphy Rec Center. We'll be cutting all of those out. We're not going to recap things we've already recapped. But we will recap the show, which was Glory by Honor 2, which took place September twentieth, two 2003, in Philadelphia, in the Murphy Rec Center. And the one bit of big news that happened at this show, apart from the show itself, I will just get to with referencing the Wrestling Observer. Ring of Honor drew another full house of 550 on September 20th in Philadelphia at the Murphy Rec Center. There was an attempt at sabotage of the show, which many at the show blamed on Jasmine St. Clair, although there is no evidence solidly of anyone doing it, and Brian Me- Quote Dave writes in quotes: "Minnie Heffron, I know like he didn't even do Blue Minnie, has totally denied either of them had anything to do with it." Booker Gabe Sapolsky was called the day before, saying there ha- have been complaints about the crowds and that the building listed capacity of 400 would be enforced. Ring of Honor asked the people at the Murphy Rec Center if they could move the show outdoors to the baseball field. They started the show at 6.30 with the showcase matches, basically a pre-card. Frank Talent of the Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission arrived. There was about a half-hour delay with all the fans kept outside the building. Talent, who likes Ring of Honor because they put on a professional show, straightened everything out, and they were allowed to get everyone in on this night. After the show, Rob Feinstein said they were planning next year to move their Philadelphia base to Viking Hall, which is the building for a long time they have said they wanted to avoid running. It's not definite that will happen, but it is being talked about, as they've been told that the 400 capacity will be enforced, so the feeling is they have to get a bigger building. They also had another problem, as they found out the day of the show that their lighting company had gone out of business, but managed to contact a new company in time for the show. And I'll, the one little other note I'll just give here is later on, I guess the old <laughs> Declarations of Independence website, which used to be. A-
0: hey, Sean the Mick.
1: quite a sight they um they contacted frank talent and later apparently all he would tell them is i know who made the call to the fire marshal ratting on ring of honor and it wasn't the blue meanie and it wasn't jasmine st Clair. for those who don't know at the time they were running um a promotion at the time called 3pw and they weren't always on the best terms with ring of honor so apparently so that so this is in a way this is weird this was the final Murphy Records Center show, but this almost didn't happen, or almost happened in a field. I, it's pretty weird to think about. Um, and now we'll just go straight to the show, which is. Uh, I do actually, I before was,
2: you before you do that. I do just want to make fun of the notion that Frank Talent liked Ring of Honor, quote, because they put on a professional show. But yeah, I I bet that's why. Have you have you either of you gentlemen met
1: Frank Talent? I have not. Uh, Okay. I've never had the pleasure of meeting Frank. Usually Frank
0: would like to do a locker room meeting beforehand. We've we've seen them it, on the DVDs. They had them on a couple of the early ROH DVDs where he gave like a pep literally, talk. Literally the pep talk would be the same talk everywhere. He would sit there and talk about – insert company here is the best wrestling organization in Philadelphia. And and it was hard because a lot of guys had heard this before, but they had to deal with someone, not me referred to Frank talent's breath as smelling of filet O fish. So (laughs) not that I want to speak ill of the dead. I just like to speak ill of filet O fish. So yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but, But you got to remember, remember a year ago, a year ago, I was actually at the first Glory by Honor and the first Glory by Honor ran the same time that XPW was running the quote unquote Viking Hall, which was already ratted out by that time. So can you imagine how it was at, at this time? So, and if you've ever been around the Mur- Murphy Rec, there's a busy main street, and there there is a, an area where if they wanted to do an outdoor show, but like they, it would have to be something very very cool. I mean, if you let, sit there and look at the Glory by Honor one show compared to this show, I mean, it, it definitely is a huge upgrade. Like you can't really tell, you know, that the bathrooms are overflowing at the show that I'm watching right now as I'm watching uh, uh, VHS number two of this show as Terry Funk is in the ring right now with CM Punk. So, so it's 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 something to show you what ROH was going through at that time because this was you know this was ROH was very buzzworthy you know wrestling in in this day and age you know we're so used to getting stuff so instantaneously and you young whippersnappers and your YouTubes and your New Japan worlds but it was something where ROH was a humongous thing for tape traders and just fans of independent wrestling it was the first ever super indie and for someone like me that was a big ECW fan and you know knew about some of these guys it was a chance to see all these guys and it was is something where, you know, I, I regretted not going to Philadelphia for several ECW trips, but the one mistake I didn't want to do was, you know, not see Ring of Honor. So I went to the first Glory by Honor, I went to the second Glory by Honor, and then uh, I made Jim Cornette upset during the Midnight Express reunion. So I was good. <laughs> right, now, did you make anyone upset during this particular card? I believe I made the Green Lantern fan Paul Stanowski uh, Hmm. upset because I believe I was seated next to him and uh, I had told him at that time that I worked for PW Torch and he was very upset that I did not know Wade Wade Keller personally. Wade (laughs) Keller, who I did not actually meet until uh, actually the last AEW show uh, during All In weekend and is a hell of a nice guy.
1: Yeah, he seems like a real nice guy. He
0: does just so a, a nice, normal guy. Bruce Mitchell is a guy that I wish I would have spent more time with because I always loved making fun of old man Bruce. But uh, what, a, what, a, <laughs> what a what a sweet
2: sweet North Carolina peach that man is. So this so. is so this was the second ROH show that you ever attended. Yes, yes. Yeah, and yes, it's it's it funny because you mentioned like the the up the upgrade in production in terms of like you can't tell that the bathrooms are overflowing at this show whereas in the original ROH shows it looked like the bathrooms were overflowing even when they weren't so they oh, really yeah. have done well, a lot of upgrading to
0: spend the money and CGI they wanted to sit there and show hey we're still indie Indy, uh, you know, not not of Indianapolis, but we wanted to sit there and show we're, we're we're true to our roots. But I mean, like you just look at what what ROH had become in that first year that was there, and you just see wow that there was definitely it, it was a different promotion than it was a year ago, and it was you know it's 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 something where I, I enjoy watching these shows more that I, I think these shows hold up a little bit better
2: than watching old ECW shows. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, and i guess i guess uh, we'll get to it and th- to the details
1: yeah um something that was at the end of this tape but we're not covering this cuz we usually just skip this in the interest of time and is there was a pre-show card as dave mentioned in the little observer note there was three matches you had the outcast killers defeating april hunter and slick wagner brown so in 625, so clearly this means Ring of Honor invented the intergender match. Um, Angel Dust defeated Joey Matthews in 733. And in a four way dance, Jimmy Jacobs won a match that also featured Alex Shelley, Josh Daniels, and making his Ring of Honor debut, Roderick Strong. So. Even though we don't cover it, this is actually the very first Ring of Honor show Roderick Strong ever worked for Ring I, of Honor.
2: And while I don't have detailed notes on it, I will say that match was probably, like, the second best match of the night. <laughs> absolutely. That was so much fun. Like, it was just
0: so, so, so good. Like, even the Billy Gunn fan, an old shout-out to the ROH message boards, was absolutely loving it. I, I remember, like, that being for a long time. Like, I, I remember I, when when we were talking about doing the podcast I was like, what matches do I remember? Oh, I remember the four-way. I remember CM Punk looking pissed after leaving the, the match with Terry Funk. And I remember the main event. Everything else I, I didn't necessarily remember. And it was something where I had to sit there and actually go do the videotapes to remember it. But I remember that four-way being super sweet with all four guys. Even I, I, this might be quite possibly, and I know you guys are only you know, on ep- whatever episode you're on right now, might possibly be the best Josh Daniels match in ROH. <laughs> and I know I know that that's really saying a lot right there. You know, I, I know it's like asking me, what's your favorite Donna Marcos match? And I'll tell you right there, Carnage Crew from uh the Futurist now show. we
1: We will have the definitive answer to that when uh Matt brings back his last podcast, list of and Learn, and we run down every Josh Daniels Ring of Honor match, which is definitely something on the horizon. But, That
0: should be if you had a Patron or a Patreon or Patron or whatever you're fucking calling it at the day and age. Like that would be something like that would be one idea that I would have. Like Josh – favorite Josh Daniel matches, uh, favorite, favorite uh, badly
2: shot promos. Oh, you name it. It's all there. Favorite badly shot promos actually is something that I very much want to put into a podcast. So don't give me any ideas. Are you – one of the things I absolutely loved about watching the VHS of this was, my
0: God, they really gave you a, a crap load of promos. Like, and I thought at times at, when I'm done with an AAW show and I have 40 promos, I'm like, you know what? It was a really light night. I really do that much. But like looking at this, it was like they really, really emphasized promos and that really excited me.
1: Yeah, not to get off on a, uh, too much of a sidetrack here because we do have lots to cover, but I think one interesting thing being that you do are involved in independent wrestling is something me and Matt complain about a fair bit is there's lots of good things to independent wrestling right now, but so many promotions have shied away from promos and even outright just away from storylines and angles. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. But like, I feel something we always remark on is at the time people thought that ring of honor was like this really dry Company, There was a lot of like goofy comedy and angles and, you know, sh- shenanigans and backstage promos. And is that is, as a, as a promoter, is that hard? Like, is, 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 is there a temptation just to go, you know what, let's just do straight matches. Like, let's not shoot. No.
0: No, it's it's something where unless I'm dying, I'll make sure that there's a crap load of promos on each AWD DVD, because half of the stuff you should see should be in the ring. The other half and the more character based stuff has got to be outside that ring. And that's sort of how you get the little bit more connection with the fans. And it's definitely, it shows on this. Like, I believe the opening promo here is Colt Cabana. And already you basically get the Colt Cabana personality where that puts him over a little bit more, where maybe you actually want to sort of see him wrestle. So as much as you could sit there and say straight wrestling You know, like as as good as you can have, uh, you can have a fantastic wrestling card with like seven killer matches and everyone's happy. But it's something where if you have 28 shows that have seven matches and they're all fantastic, what's different about them or what what about them can really lead into personalities behind the person? You know, like one of my favorite wrestlers right now, probably my favorite wrestler right now is Zack Sabre Jr. You know, something Zach does excellent is promos. And his promos are just right on because he is an absolute prick in those promos. And God bless him. Because it's not just, wow, he's a really good wrestler and he's the one guy in Suzuki Gun besides Minoru that I can sa- handle. But like he, like just is general, he, you get to put across your character a little bit more with that. So promos, yeah, that- promos to me are, are something where it needs to be front and center because a, a, at the end of the day, it has to be more than just the fact that you can wrestle a fantastic match. Like it, you just have to have that extra combination.
1: Yeah. we're I think we're all on the same page there. And going to that promo you talked about, we start the show proper with a Colt Cabana backstage promo where he hypes his match tonight. He he says he needs to crack the Ring of Honor top five, and he hints that he's going to do something tonight that will make home video history, and he's not talking about his wrestling match, he points out. And then the funny little bit at the end, the camera sticks with Colt probably a good five or eight seconds after he's done talking, and he proceeds just to make goofy faces into the camera, which, in a way, this kind of predicted the future of all WWE backstage promos, where the camera just hangs on a little too long, except he was actually allowed to do something with the time. Um we cut to a second promo backstage except it's not backstage it's in we're told Bayonne New Jersey Dan Moth is in a neck brace.
2: I can't think a of a bigger mo- contrast in personality between these two promos, <laughs> um,
1: and very
0: much our night and day here. So,
1: uh, Moth is in a neck brace. He cuts a very mothy promo while lounging in a chair in front of a crazy lush green garden wall mural in Bayonne, New Jersey. That might, in fact, be the picture for this podcast. I'm not sure. He says he has a pinched neck nerve and post concussion syndrome. And he talks about how much he hates low-key for hurting him before he says Allison Danger will be phoning him throughout the night with updates on Glory by Honor results. I'll just note, Christopher Daniels just did this gimmick a couple shows ago, the Allison Danger is phoning me thing. And it wasn't good then. <laughs> but
2: Christopher <laughs> so Daniels was actually cutting reasonable promos. This guy was like slowly whisper talking things that weren't interesting. The only well, could, note he, that I the only note that I had for this is this promo is boring as fuck.
0: Well, you got to remember, though, he couldn't really talk in any other Diane Moff-type voice because of the fact he had that neck brace on. So it wasn't like he could do a regular, normal wrestling. See, if you know anything about the the science of wrestling and the science of doing promos, if you have a neck brace on, you can't necessarily move, but you can't necessarily go any other tone but monotone. But thankfully, though, he had a nice uh, 2003 flip phone where Alice in Danger was going to give him text messages. And also, he held up the flip phone during it. He did not unflip the flip. Phone which I could see like my son watching and just being like, Dad,
1: Dad, what is that? <laughs> uh, I, I still had one of those until embarrassingly recently. So uh didn't get my first smartphone till last year. So Well you're uh, like dead moff
0: going... in that respect. Now, <laughs> now we get you a nice neck brace and sit there and uh, you know basically uh yeah.
2: So wait, so what so, I... so, so what do you what do you have? A palm trio? <laughs>
1: I got I got an old BlackBerry that I found in a in a in a convenience store. No, um, next week <laughs> I'm gonna just run from my shame and my bad transition to a. We get a couple clips just setting up the uh, Field of Honor matches. This is something Gabe said on the earlier on uh, on the Ring of Honor website at the time that they were going to try to do experiment with production things with the Field of Honor, which basically just means showing guys do things like BJ Whitmer kicking a heavy bag for a few seconds before his match. And then we cut to AJ Styles backstage telling Jimmy Rave to work over BJ's arm tonight to set up your crossface finisher, just continuing the little story they're building of AJ Styles is the mentor to Jimmy Rave. He's going to get kind of frustrated when Jimmy Rave doesn't do well. And that leads to the match. Our opening match on the main card tonight, Field of Honor Block B match. BJ Whitmer, who was 1-0 going into this, defeats Jimmy Rave, who is now 0-2, and Via pinfall in nine minutes twenty five seconds after he hits a big top rope power bomb, Matt. How do you think this worked as an opener? As the first thing you saw on the card,
2: I thought that it wasn't really, it wasn't really anything memorable at all. Like it was decent, I would say. Um, like I thought Rave looked better than he did in the previous matches, but uh, he, uh, you know, he he worked out. He had pretty decent offense and stuff. Um, I thought BJ did a little too much too early I think he kind of ran out of steam later um but but it felt you know it just felt very like this is an indie opener with above average wrestlers like it wasn't certainly the guys weren't wrestling at the high end of what they were doing the thing that really stood out the most was punk on commentary because he was really giving it to everybody he really like he really Not um, happy
0: with any of these. Guys,
2: no, at all. including it was Marvelous, including Gabe on commentary. He made fun of first of all. He made fun of BJ a lot. That was like his main thing. Like he was very unfair and mean to BJ. He made fun of him based on their match in April, where BJ and him both got knocked out, and he was like, "Oh, BJ's a quitter," which kind of goes back to the promo he cut right after that match. And he also made fun
1: of Gabe for. Uh, frequently comparing BJ to a horse um, <laughs> yes he did we, we, we alluded to this on the last episode that Punk would get the payoff for Gabe's constant praising of BJ as being horse-like so I have this exchange
2: okay. Punk, go- Punk goes how is he a horse and Gabe goes because this man is a workhorse. he's as tough as they come Punk goes I don't know I've seen some horses that weren't so tough <laughs> so, I don't know. If, if Punk was trying to go for the Heenan thing, I think he achieved it. He maybe took a little bit of attention away from the match, but that gets a lot worse later. Um, it's, but the, that was a lot more memorable than the match itself
1: uh doc the good doctor what did you think like uh before I give my notes so what did you think i
0: i enjoy, i actually really enjoyed this match a lot because it reminded me of uh you know just two guys sort of throwing everything that they had in a 2003 independent wrestling show like i i i, I really the one thing I really enjoyed about it was punk's commentary like because because I have forgotten the fact that punk during these shows would do so much and his commentary really added a wonderful element to his character and his persona. So like, I really enjoyed all the remarks about uh, BJ Whitmer and his horse face, uh, long horse face and everything else. And I, I thought the match was good. And I think it told a nice little story where these guys did everything that they know how to do in the course of nine minutes. So you know, I, I, thought, I thought it was a really, I thought it was a really strong opener, uh, to have on the show. And just, it was, it, it just had a really, really nice back and forth, back and forth. The guy, the protege misses something and then loses the match, you know, where it, it, it definitely was a give and take.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm closer to you on this than Matt. Uh, there's something about B.J. Whitmer I can't believe that I'm kind of defending him because I've never been a huge fan of B.J. Whitmer. I've never really hated him, but um, I feel like this match and his recent match we watched with um, Mark Briscoe, like they're not the most deep, they're not the cheapest matches ever, but I feel like B.J. is clearly a guy at this point who's just kind of trying to steal the show these last few matches, just give everything he's, he's got. I feel like this match kind of played to his strengths, which is just, you know, there was a lot of hard hitting, a lot of big suplexes. That's kind of, I feel like the two best, the two things he does best. I felt like Jimmy Rave got maybe a little overwhelmed by that. Like he spent a lot of time, um, Selling's and then spent a lot of time kind of coming back and hitting big moves when he could so that story of him working the arm that aj kind of set up didn't really there wasn't much to it and as but i thought this was like an above average opener and not not nothing amazing but i i I liked it and uh yeah i I should have mentioned this is the commentary this is the second time ever cm Punk did commentary for Ring of Honor, and he will join for, I would say, the first two-thirds of the show before Doug replaces him. And uh, I I felt I was a little less high on Punk's commentary than you guys were. I I felt like, I I remembered being a big fan of CM Punk's commentary in IWA Mid-South and here in WWE, but listening back to the show, I felt like he was overwhelmed a few matches and a little overbearing and a little bit trying very hard to be uh, Jesse Ventura. But as the show got going, as he got closer to leaving, I felt like he kind of got better at that. And he definitely had some funny lines. And I definitely liked, um, at one point, Punk does like the wink wink where he goes, BJ's gassed, if you will. and That was me- awesome. And Gabe literally goes, come on, CM Punk, like he's Gorilla Monsoon, like saying his full name, like he almost just would have said, come on, Chick Magnet Punk. Like if he knew more of Punk's name, he would have said it. he was so just not having this whippersnapper even hint that BJ Whitmer might take performance enhancing drugs. So, yeah, that was pretty funny. And we cut to BJ backstage after the match. B.J. says Jimmy Rave is one tough kid and he's going somewhere in this business. B.J. says the field of honor is putting someone in the upper echelon and this is just the start for him. We go to Jimmy Rave elsewhere backstage. A J Styles comes up to him and he berates Ray for the second straight Field of Honor match. This time he's complaining, you know, you went up top and you didn't finish him in the middle of the ring with a submission like I told you. So, we're just again those don't, going back to don't. what Keith said earlier; those little segments that just add story and color. It's going
2: amazing. I think I, like that, and I think I mentioned this before. It is amazing how like how uh, patient they were with this and built it up so it paid off way down the road. It's <laughs> can you imagine like wwe doing anything like that now
1: no
0: absolutely not
1: and and i think it's classic gabe i've mentioned this before but gabe when someone was like gabe was a master sometimes almost too good at it of keeping a ton of plates in the spinning in the ton of plates spinning i I don't think you have them in the air um it's kind of off my game anyway um i i think like so when you look at jimmy rave he's not going to get a win here so he obviously knew that ahead of time. It was like, we're going to start a little angle for him. So even though he doesn't have any wins, we're giving him something. And I think Gabe was always good where if someone was losing a lot in Ring of Honor and they were going to be there long term, it was either to set up a big redemption story or they had some kind of angle that would justify it or give them a lift. And, and Gabe was really good about that. I, I, just something that's, uh, uh, you know, we, we rag on Gabe when he's not good, but we also give him credit when he is. And I think that's something he's kind of underrated for doing.
0: Yeah, you bring up an excellent point there for the fact that even the little things that are being done on here, you know, AJ Styles, bad dad, trying to help his son out, Jimmy Rave. And, and by the way, are you surprised, guys? We've gone so long and said Jimmy Rave's name so many times without doing a Prince Nana impersonation. So really, <laughs> I'm saving it for you. About Jimmy, Rave, Rave. Jimmy
2: Rave! Yeah, you <laughs> did <laughs> it. Days.
0: God damn, those embassy days are great. But uh, yeah, this was, this was a, 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 a solid opener and uh led to a nice video with uh goldilocks uh or lollipop (laughs) uh i always get her and uh goldilocks from the early part of tna mixed up uh stalking xavier so yeah good times
2: the key the Uh, key to telling them apart I find, is that Lollipop often is and carrying... It's often carrying a lollipop, exactly. Um, this is this was the debut of Lollipop, right? Uh, and she was just very unassuming. She just shows up and Gabe's like, oh my god, it's Lollipop. It's
0: DNA, superstar, and cage
2: dancer Lollipop. Quick, be on my
0: show!
1: <laughs> Before we uh, get to that, there was actually one promo. Uh, Samoa Joe backstage cuts a quick promo on Christopher Daniels. That's Basically just an average rehash of better promos he's done in Ring of Honor on Daniels. It's not bad, it's just you've heard this before. We get the classic cut cue from Gabe Sapolsky, and because in Ring of Honor no one gets wise to the fact that the cameras never stop rolling, Steve Carino comes in with Guillotine Legrand, and we get to see it all. He walks in, he tells Joe good promo, and Joe says, he's been, Joe says I've been working on it, which I thought was kind of like an interesting bit of... Um, like, humility from, like, the tough, badass, confident Joe. Like, I've been working on my promos.
2: Which is which is uh, also funny because I think Joe was already one of the better
1: promos. Yeah, and honestly, I thought this was, like, probably his least good. Not a horrible promo, but, like, he's been cutting pretty damn great promos the last few shows. This was probably, like, the least good, like, the least I've enjoyed him in a few shows. I agree with that. because well, uh,
0: guillotine was waiting in the background. I mean, <laughs> anyone, like, gets under pressure when that guy's around.
2: That probably yeah, is and, part of it,
1: yeah. Carino is not happy that CM Punk has chosen him to be Raven's opponent tonight, and he's just venting. Joe wonders, what's the big deal? It's not like Carino hasn't beaten Raven before, and this gets Guillotine to fly off the handle and just say, you know he hasn't beaten him, quit rubbing it in. And uh, Carino says he brought Joe in to be part of the original group in Ring of Honor that's greatly named Stable. And while he's very happy for Joe, the original plan was for Carino to be the loudmouth heel champ and Joe to be the enforcer. But Carino still congratulates him and walks away. And then we just leave the camera on Joe, who looks basically confused that Carino just showed up to be so gracious to him.
2: I, I enjoyed the like – the, the promo, like you said, wasn't that great. But I enjoyed the post-match, um, the post-match uh, like shenanigans from Carino. I think he's good at that stuff.
1: Yeah, the, I, I forget if this leads anywhere, but there's definitely another segment tonight where – Basically, it's a second straight segment a little bit later of Crino being gracious to somebody that he was a jerk to and then the guy being confused. Like That's a theme Gabe is doing tonight that basically people are surprised that maybe Steve Crino for once isn't being like a flaming asshole to everyone around him.
2: Well, Also, they don't trust him. That's that's the other thing. They're like, this guy (laughs) has ulterior motives.
1: Like, what's he up to? Yeah, that's a great point.
2: Well, also, I, I think down the
0: road, I think the the plan was, I believe, the actual the main event of the Chicago show that ended up giving us Joe versus Punk two was going to be Joe versus Steve Carino.
2: Right, so, and it never and
1: it never yeah, ended up happening playing.
2: in ROH. Right, yeah,
1: they never wanted to do a sixty a second sixty minute draw, but Gabe told them basically like we need a big match to replace it, uh, Carino versus Joe, and that was the match they came up with. So in a way, Carino is to thank for the second 60-minute Joe Punk draw. Thanks, but, Steve. <laughs> uh, then we, we do see a quick shot of Xavier using a weight machine as Lollipop watches him. Before we get to our second match, Field of Honor Block A match, so we get one match from both blocks. Xavier defeats John Walters via pinfall in 10 minutes, 45 seconds, after he hits him with a low blow and then transitions that into basically just a a regular pinning combination. Uh, Keith, what did you think about this match? I looked back at your um at your recap of the show that you wrote at the time for PW Torch and I you you kinda had some similar thoughts on Xavier before this match that I think me I definitely had.
0: I was never really big into Xavier. Like, I, I just, I, I never really saw it. And, and the fact that Lollipop seductively looking at him as he was working on his tricep pull downs wasn't going to convince me anymore. And it seemed like they were trying something a little bit different here. I mean, even though. At one point during this match, I believe Allison Danger does come up and she's sort of wondering, well, why why, why is that floozy with the uh, with the candy uh, in the corner of looking at one of my guys? You know, it was you know, there wasn't anything that I remember about this being particularly awesome, like, you know, but uh, yeah, it was it was one of those things where it's just it you know it wasn't that like Xavier never did anything for me I remember like looking on the RF video once again <laughs> scrolling boards and they're saying there was a new ROH champion it was Xavier and it was sort of like him like that was basically the basic consensus of a lot of people from him and I don't think this really started well for phase two of Xavier so and you know the fact he still wouldn't shake hands he's going around with that girl with the candy in her mouth hi Like, it was just, it was, it was something where, you know, yeah, it it was what it was. I mean, it's, 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 it's not something where if you're sitting there waiting for you guys to do your special episode where you feature the field of honor from 2003, (laughs) I'll probably have more detailed thoughts on it, but uh, it it was fine for what it was.
1: Um, I'm, I'm going to save Matt for last because Matt's (laughs) going to have to break the tie here because I actually liked this match more than I thought I would actually thought this was maybe almost just outright a good match like it, it, it didn't have maybe the greatest flow but i felt like xavier was really shooting for the moon here like xavier was a guy who we've had our ups and downs with him i don't think he's horrible but i don't think he's also some people if you look at some people online i'm not going to name who but some people act like xavier was this secret amazing guy in ring of honor and like the best who Peter are Kiel- these people Okay, it's Phil Schneider and David Dixon's fan. I'll just say okay. it. I'm calling you out. Um, but he's good in some aspects. But I, I don't think he's as bad as some of his detractors say. I don't think he's as good as some of the people that really sing his praises say. I don't think all that heat he was getting. I think some of it was probably real heat. I think some it was probably we don't know why you're here at this point in the card. But I thought for this match. Maybe it's cuz this was only Xavier's second match on like his second run in ring of honor after he took a couple months off. But Xavier's usually good for one or two innovative moves in a match. I felt like he was really like trying a whole bunch of new stuff here. He did a 450 from the top to the floor. He even did like variations of regular things like his Arabian press and his kiss your ex goodbye finisher. He would do like a forward flip off the turnbuckle to land into the kiss your ex goodbye neck breaker position, or he'd like springboard off Walter's back, I think to get into the Arabian press. And in fact, it looked like he hurt himself. Like he landed on his shoulder on that and kind of hurt himself, but he recovered. And this match didn't have great flow, but I felt like Xavier was doing like lots of, if you just like the big, crazy moves, I felt like he was really trying. And the fact that it only went 10 minutes meant there wasn't a ton of filler to this. I felt like maybe John Walters got a little bit overshadowed by Xavier, even despite the fact that not only does Gabe call um, John Walters a blue chipper every time he wrestles in Ring of Honor, CM Punk, he must have been told to do this, called John Walters a blue chipper. Like, I, I, I have to believe... CM Punk was told to call John Walters a blue chipper. You don't Um, think CM
0: Punk looked at him and automatically thought, you know what? That guy's a blue chipper. And I'm just going to beat that in the ground
1: for this. (laughs) I, I think Punk just, um, well not Punk, but Gabe, like these are two guys like, you know, people talk about Gabe, how, you know, he champions the small workers and the less traditional workers. And he did in a lot of ways, but. Gabe had an eye to like a lot of promoters for people that just look like wrestlers. And Xavier looks like people's average definition of a pro wrestler, John Walters to a degree too. They're both like fairly handsome, fairly beefy, well-defined young men. And even if they weren't necessarily making, having huge amounts of charisma and weren't always the most over, he gave both of them pretty healthy pushes because I think, you know, it's, People need to remember, Gabe wasn't immune to the charms of a nice set of abs or, you know, a a big (laughs) arm, you know? Where are you going with this? I'm I'm making a case about Gabe Sapolsky and, no, um, Matt just... Save me, say that. Talk about this, man.
2: All right. Well, yeah, let's I hear more
0: about his plushes abs and everything else and how you could tell the difference between John uh, Walters and Josh Daniels. I
1: you count would, the abs. One is a six-pack. One is an eight-pack. Come on. They are, they are among
2: the many handsome wrestlers that appeared on this event, um, and that's all I'll say about that. Um, so for the further match, I I think I'm more in line with what Keith is saying. I thought it was a solid match. It was fine. It didn't really stand out. I thought that they did too much. Like, Xavier in particular, like, you you said it sort of as a... Uh you know, something in the match's favor. I think it was a little bit of a drawback to the match. Xavier just did too many moves. Um, there were a couple of cool spots. Uh, actually, one of the coolest spots I thought was a very simple one, which was early in the match, where they both simultaneously went for a drop-down. You know, you often see, like, the, the, the guys trying to drop-kick each other, but this time they both drop-down at the same time. You don't really see that too often, and I thought that was cute, and I enjoyed it. Um but, uh, I, you know, I thought Xavier did too much. That spot that you were talking about where he jumped off of Walter's back to do the Arabian press, he landed on his head bad. Like, I thought that was a really, like, bad-looking botch. Like, not in the sense that I was, like, upset about how it, what it did to the match. I
1: was worried about him. Yeah, he looked hurt for a little while after that. But he recovered eventually. But you could tell, like, he, you could tell just from watching him he felt that. Yeah, I
2: uh, I agree. Um As far as the match, like, I think the big thing is maybe I would like it better if it was different guys. But this match and a lot of the Field of Honor guys other than, like, Cabana, they're just – the Field of Honor guys are just so dry. So the presentation is so dry. They don't have a ton of personality. Even the post-match after Xavier won with the uh, low blow and the roll-up and Walters got on the mic and was like, it's about honor and you know, you shouldn't win like that in an honorable promotion. It made Walters, I think, just seem whiny, like it didn't seem cool or anything. Um, but yeah, I just thought too many moves, uh, like that didn't really have a flow, and just too dull in terms of the personality of the guys.
1: And it continues on. You talked about, I think you complained about Matt on a recent show about John Walters getting post-match promo time when he doesn't really seem to have anything to say. Like, it just seems like Gabe really liked him. So he's like, well, if I like a guy, he deserves promo time. Except that wasn't playing to his strength at at, at this point at all. No, Matt
2: Stryker also, for some reason, had to have a promo at the end of every one of his matches uh, for a few shows in a row. And it's like, you know, sometimes less is more with these guys.
0: Well, another thing, though, just just, just to yeah, throw in my two cents here, and plus I like talking uh, and hearing my voice, is the fact that sometimes, though, in order to become a better promo, you need these guys to do as many promos as possible to show them what they're doing wrong and hopefully that they'll improve. It doesn't mean you have to have it on the double or triple VHS, but it means that definitely promo time is something that, that needs to happen. And, you know, the other thing I, i always sort of in favor of is, you know, get on the mic when it needs to be done as opposed to, you know, in this case they had a match. They could have easily done that. You know, they didn't have to do that in front of the people that promo, you know, just because he wanted to show what respect means to me already. It's not something where it's like, yeah, respect. I understand you completely. You need to shake some hands. You know, like it. it it's one of those things where they could have easily done that in the back later on and still put
2: over their character a little bit more. Yeah. On the la- on the last show, Walters did a promo talking about how he guaranteed he'd win the next time they came back to Boston. Oh. <laughs> that made a little bit more sense only in the sense of like it was a local promo for the local crowd and they were going to be back in the same place this uh, this one is like yeah it totally could have been backstage and they would have lost nothing from it and they would have been i don't know would have kept the show moving along a little bit better
1: i, I think oh sorry go on
0: Oh no! Please, guys. I feel I feel I feel bad because I love your flow, and I feel I'm just ruining your show. No, you're you're
1: you're, you're honestly saving our
0: show,
2: saving our (laughs) show. Hashtag save save our show. show
0: That's already this show has (laughs) no need of being saving, guys. I just wanted to let you know that while while you guys were chatting about this, I I looked over the uh, lustrous career of Lollipop the wrestler and remembered some of her wonderful feuds uh, in TNA, including the feud with the stable known as Bitch Slap, which was Tracy Brooks and Nurse Veronica, who of course was simply luscious so
1: <laughs>
2: uh, and so we'll i see. brought absolutely nothing no with that no corruption. I, I no i mean we'll i see. what it, sh- it shows it like i mean we, this is sort of a trend that we have when we're talking about gabe's booking of women uh to this day but he actually missed some opportunities to do somewhat interesting stuff with the women's wrestlers and they she's just shows up here and she's just a attractive woman with a lollipop and that's yeah, literally terror. all that's I'll show up at a
0: wrestling show and sit there and ogle John Walters. I was about to say John Walters, but realizing no, no one's doing that. Why wasn't I only wish Matt Stryker was had a more predominant part of the show so we really could talk into like, you know, F. Mary Kill with him,
2: John Walters <laughs> and Josh Daniels. I
1: guarantee you Gabe's played that game. <laughs> uh,
2: and he was like he was like I don't even want to go there. Never mind.
1: No, but I guess we should mention, uh, Keith mentioned this briefly, and we never touched on it, but Allison Danger did come out at the start of this match. Xavier quickly sent her to the back, and the commentary, Gabe's trying to push this angle of, is Xavier still on the prophecy? It really doesn't look like it to the fans. But then Gabe's trying to sell that he is, because at the end of the match, Xavier cheats to win, and Gabe basically takes that as proof that Xavier is still in the prophecy, despite the fact he sent Alice in danger to the back. So uh, it's cool. like Dave trying to do some very unsubtle misdirection on commentary. To be fair, though,
0: Christopher Daniels had a big match that night, and she should be preparing Mr. Daniels for his world title match that night, as opposed to being there in the field of honor. Like, Lollipop has everything in hand.
2: I <laughs>
0: oh. uh, but also- including, also, including
2: a Lollipop that she has in hand.
0: Oh, I have to, I, well, yeah, also in her mouth. But yeah, yeah it's just <laughs> everything in hand and mouth. Oh,
2: dude, I'm man. just
0: talking about a lollipop. <laughs> I like. I like how this has now gotten, Randy. Guys, thank, <laughs> thank you, thank oh. you. I blame myself for this.
1: But. I think the most important thing about this whole match, though, was one line from Punk talking to Gabe when they started talking about the, like the history of the prophecy. And Punk, out of the blue, just asked Gabe, "Whatever happened to Donovan Morgan?" And I just started laughing, like, like that's something that no one else would have the balls probably to say. Like, they, I'm sure Gabe didn't want to talk about Donovan Morgan. I just, I love that Punk will just. There's a couple times in the show where Punk, obviously being brassy, CM Punk will just he doesn't mind like needly like, there's a couple times in the show where he makes gabe feel seem nervous like gabe's almost scared of punk legitimately
2: <laughs> well also not only is punk <laughs> the only one with the balls to ask what happened to donovan morgan he's the only person that would ever even think to ask that question or think <laughs> or care to so
1: but but i i do love he's like pointing out like he just disappeared off the face of the earth like what happened to him and uh so yeah after the match Not a great John Walters segment, but as Keith said, guys need to learn. Although I guess maybe tying that in with uh, Keith's point about Colt Cabana at the start of the show is Colt Cabana has a character, so he can get that over if you give him a few minutes. John Walters, like you were saying before, where let guys say something when they have something they need to say – So far, Gabe keeps giving John Walters things to say that he doesn't need to say that don't really reinforce a character.
2: And again, it made him seem like a whiner, which is not something that you want for a babyface that you're building up.
1: Yeah. So um, backstage, Xavier says anytime, anyplace when it comes to a John Walters rematch. So we're setting that up, which they will get a, a bigger rematch that is more fondly remembered than this match. And then elsewhere backstage, it's Christopher Daniels and Allison Danger. Daniels goes over his history with Samoa Joe. He reminds fans he brought Joe to Ring of Honor. at His first show was Glory by Honor 1, so there's some nice <clears throat> symmetry there. He talks about some of the encounters he's had with Joe and Ring of Honor since then. He says he re- keeps going, Daniels keeps going the last few shows, that winning the title is his destiny. He keeps really hitting that destiny line to the point where you almost feel like there's something to it, but it's just a theme he likes for this. Um, they do yet another Gabe Sapolsky cut, And then Carino shows up again, just like the Joe promo. He says he comes in peace because, you know, Carino had a big feud with Daniel's faction until Carino got arrested and they had to finish it without him. But Steve says that he realizes that Daniels is number one in Ring of Honor. And because of that, he says there'll never be a Daniels Carino feud. He tells Daniels to go win the title tonight and offers him a handshake. Daniels doesn't shake. But then I think Carino says something like, in time you will, and then he just leaves. And then, just like Joe, the camera stays on Daniel's in danger, and they're just bewildered, and they don't know what to make of this. Maybe a bit distrusting of how gracious Steve Carino is being tonight. So, and that brings us to a very, in a weird way, like a trivial, if there was a Ring of Honor trivial pursuit, this would be a answer to a question, because this is Ted Teddy Hart's, young Tedward Hart's debut in Ring of Honor in his short Ring of Honor career. Ted, Teddy Hart, defe- or as Ring of Honor's graphic calls him, just Ted Hart defeated TJ Wilson via pinfall in 7 minutes, 42 seconds after he hit a shooting star press. Apart from just the surrealness of watching this, knowing what happens to uh, Teddy Hart in Ring of Honor, uh, it's kind of weird in that it's not what you would expect. You would think Teddy Hart and TJ Wilson in their first, like, trial match for Ring of Honor, they only get a little bit of time, seven and a half minutes. You'd think they would go crazy, but it's actually a lot slower, mm. and it's a lot more on the mat. They, they they do do some high-flying at the end, but they set it for, like, just two or three big spots at the end, like Teddy winning with the Shooting Star Press. And really, I know in a live report, some... Um, Someone told Dave, I don't know if this was Ring of Honor officials or fans, told Dave Meltzer that they looked nervous, both of them. I don't know if they looked nervous, but you could definitely see times where they were maybe talking an extra couple seconds and maybe not sure what to do next. And watching this for me, I wouldn't call it a good match, but I could tell watching it, like you can tell these are two guys with talent who are young, who if you give them time can get, could, could be pretty good. And I felt, in particular, Teddy Hart was trying to do a couple big bumps. Like, he takes a dragon suplex at one point from TJ, and he goes full-on vertical. Like, I I noticed that when Teddy Hart could bump big in this match, he was really going for it. Um, Matt, again, it's hard to read too much into this but what do you think for a seven and a half minute match here well
2: i you know like you were talking about how it's slow i thought it it felt to me like the crowd which was kind of quiet for this match like they were waiting for teddy to like live up to his crazy reputation in terms of the moves and stuff and really other than a couple of spots he didn't really attempt that um I, i thought it was almost less like they were approaching it as if they were run, they were trying to do an ROH style like i'm going to go balls to the walls and impress this indie crowd match and more of like we're do we're having a WWE trial match and we just want to show that we can pace a match and not you know not try to you know not try to do too much um, which is fine, but I think maybe it was the wrong audience for it. But that wasn't even what stood out to me about the match. What stood out to me about the match is, more than any ROH match I can remember, the announcers completely ignored the match. <laughs> they, they they really didn't talk about it at all. They were talking about other angles going on. They were talking about you know a CM Punk's whole thing with Raven. They were talking about Daniels and Carino. And literally, they, I mean, it, like, they ignored pretty much the entire match. At one point, Gabe even goes, all right, we've been rude to this match. Let's pay attention to it. And yeah, then he really – We've been sidetracked. He yeah, just outright admits. Yeah. And then he really didn't even get to pay attention to it like because the match like, ended right there. And he was like, oh, good, good effort from these guys. And it's like, how do you know? You didn't watch any of it. Um, like, I, it was bizarre. It was, like, totally surreal. So um, the match I don't think was, you know, really amounted to much. But the announcing sure didn't help.
1: Yeah, I felt it felt more like an audition than a uh, than a match, I would say. But maybe Dr. Keith feels differently. And also, not only am I going to ask your opinions on this match, but have you had much experience working with Teddy Hart? Uh,
0: (laughs) uh, That's because, no, I was just stretching there, guys, really (laughs) helping the lumber support that this chair is not giving me. Uh, okay. Uh, let me talk about the match first. Okay. I remember going in the match being excited because, of course, these were two of the mat Rats. And then I was expecting it to be high flying. And you're absolutely right. It really wasn't that other than a few moves here and a few moves there really was strictly mat based, you know. And I remember after watching it really liking TJ Wilson more than Teddy, you know, like I I was very impressed with a lot of the stuff that TJ Wilson did and, uh, like I, 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 became a fan of both those guys during the course of that night. I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like the Teddy Hart that we see in this day and age. Like this is still Teddy when he's young. And I just remember during the course of the show, seeing him at least 12 or 13 times walking around the building, walking outside, going everywhere, wearing a pair of glasses and having a disc man on him at all times. And <laughs> considering this is like the middle of, you know, like I remember talking to him after the show and he had his sunglasses on outside and it was like, wow, he really, is more like Corey Hart than we thought he was. Um, <laughs> but uh, like rewatching this match, what was surprising to me was the fact that thinking about where those guys have gone since that time, like with the 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 benefits of high of not high spots network where you can watch AEW Pro, but with the value of hindsight and seeing where their careers have gone, where you know T.J. Wilson and became T.J. Burr, like just has become you know a guy that you know made it. And did did incredibly well for himself before what happened. But, uh, you know, Teddy is Teddy. And as we'll see later on during his ROH run with everything that happened there, you know, there's a reason sometimes why people end up in certain places, but it was interesting watching this match and seeing how Teddy had evolved, uh, not to throw shade on Gabe's other promotion uh, in that time. Uh, And my experiences with Teddy Hart were like that night as a fan, he seemed like a pretty decent, decent fellow. And then I actually worked with Teddy on the wrestling society X show. And at one point uh, as I was one of the producers, he cut, and in, in, in my thoughts, probably one of the best promos they ever did about the catering services at the Hollywood soundstage that we were shooting the show at. So uh, A promo, we, a we... promo I assume, about how delicious it was. Well, no, no, no. no. It was an anti-promo about <laughs> what, the, <laughs> what the wrestlers needed. You know, like basically there should be grilled chicken breast and eggs and like basically lean proteins and everything else where he went. He basically talked to me for about two or three minutes about that. You know, and when everything happened with him last year, uh, we were one of the first companies to use him. And I picked him up from the airport and he was so quiet and reserved where I was like, wow, this is this is different. Like Teddy definitely has changed. And within the course of the night, uh, you know, like and I told him that I was like, you know, compared to what what I remember you being back then. Like you seem like a completely different person. Like, I don't know if it was the fact that you were in jail, but you didn't get prison Jack, like Nick gauge, although you did pretty well for yourself. Like, it seems like you had changed. And what was great about it was we were talking. It was myself, Danny Daniels, and Mike Peckovich, the two main uh, owners of AEW. Afterwards, and Teddy looks at me and is like, "He was. He'll tell you I've changed." It was like, "Oh boy, like now I'm going to be on the spot." But uh, you know, Teddy, Teddy is Teddy. Teddy will always beat to a different drummer, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, unless you tell him something that you want to do and then it becomes what it becomes so god god you know what i will sit there and say teddy hart is a friend of mine and god bless you teddy hart
2: so certainly is- certainly a talented individual no one can argue oh, with absolutely. that
1: yeah. First off, I just want to say that was probably the most eloquent and nicest answer we've gotten to not just a Teddy Hart question, but any question I might have asked in my life. I, I would only hope you would speak that f- well of me at a eulogy as you spoke at Teddy Hart. Like, I, I am surprised.
0: Do you need me to speak at your eulogy? Because I got some uh, good are, are you busy in so? two and a half weeks? I there's no reason oh, no. for me to sit there and bury, bury young Teddy yeah. Hart. Because of the situations that he's in right now and the things that he's done in his life, you know, I can imagine sort of being that close to grabbing the breast brass ring and me in the WWE and then realizing everything. Like when you look at his career, like you guys will on your Patreon episode <laughs> I mean, in, in years, like you'll sit there and be like, Wow, a stop start, stop, start, stop, start. Yeah. And it's like you wanna I wanna root for Teddy Hart. I wanna sit there and wish for good things about him. Do I have sort of a, you know, oh Teddy Hart did this. And that's why I hate Teddy Hart. I don't hate it. I don't hate Teddy Hart. There's there's very few people that I will speak ill of. And let me look at the rest of the show. No, not that. You know what? Sadly, there's no one on this show that I feel yeah. like burying. But in general, what what good does it do me? It just gives you guys a podcast rating.
2: And, and speaking oh. of, and speaking of burying, Trevor, you and you and I know. The, Keith can't speak at our eulogies anytime soon because we have a pact that we are not going to commit mutual suicide until once we're done with the CZW ROH feud. So we have plenty of time. Don't worry. We're going to be around for a little bit longer.
1: The the ultimate cage of death. I would think, though, you
0: guys would probably want to end, though, when Gabe's run ends. Like, I would think that that would be like that. That's the part where I'm sort of like, okay, like, let's sit there. Let's get up to that part, you know, like and and then maybe sit there and and invite some young kids to host the Adam (laughs) Pierce area era and then invite some really up and coming you know like scrappy scrappy <laughs> podcast host to host the delirious area era because they'll just be like wow and then and then every once in a while just show up every once in a while for an hg net retrospective and all <laughs> will be well. well
1: hey i mean that's a pretty good playbook you've set out for us and yeah I, on teddy Hart, i just want to make clear i'm um i'm not i kind of look down on people that are always like oh yeah teddy Hart," like who kind of are so into the myth of Teddy Hart. I, I was just legitimately curious, but I, I do think, like as as Teddy Hart's career goes on, his story isn't like this fun thing. It's it's it's, it's a tragic story oh, of a. Absolutely. And I, in fact, well, I'm saving most of this because this is a big part of three episodes from now. But Gabe was outright quoted, like directly quoting the Observer saying something to the effect of. Teddy Hart is the most talented guy in this business who will never amount to anything, and I—that's a little bit harsh, but I don't think it's a lot harsh. Gabe, I, okay, but I—I I mean, I mean harsh compared to the reality, which I don't think he's that far off. Like, he doesn't really—I'll—I'll I'll say this: like, on the most recent Joey Daniella, uh show, Joey DiNella, uh, New York, the New York show. I was there. Yeah, one of the commentators said something about like. Oh, it's Teddy Hart. He's done so much in AAA and Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor was the second company they mentioned for Teddy Hart, the second thing that came to mind. I think he has three matches in Ring of Honor. Like it, it, but they're all just,
0: memorable. I mean, obviously, they, they you are. saw how much we've spent more time talking about Teddy Hart than the actual match he had on this fucking show with DJ but, Wilson. He has, at least, he
2: has at least four ROH matches because he has three in the 3 04 era. And then he has he came back in like maybe 09 for like a very like – maybe like even like a
1: one-time appearance. But um, I'll just – like for people that don't know, Teddy Hart – Partly because of the name, partly because of his style, and a great part because of his controversy, was ve- like one of the hottest kind of buzzed guys among insider fans around this time. Like, if you think Marco Stunt is getting a lot of publicity, this was like Marco Stunt times two before social media. Um, even The Observer wrote about this match. They made special mention to write about it. And Dave writes. Teddy Hart got a great reaction, and people from people were psyched to see him after the TNA X tournament. Told that both people in this match were nervous, and Hart was setting up moves slowly, and it was nothing special, but crowd was kind to him. Ring of Honor officials really liked Hart, as they asked him to tone down on high spots, and he did, and they're in discussion about him being a regular. So, again, to just show you kind of the opportunity he had, they were really happy with him after this night.
2: You well, know. Remember, this was right around the time that he had a really well-regarded match in TNA against Juventud Guerrera on the One Penny pay-per-view, if you remember
1: that. Yeah, like, if you watched TNA around this cap. point, yeah, yeah, you would say he's on his way, you know, to big things right now at this point. And But uh, that's enough Teddy Hart talk, except we have a Teddy Hart segment. After the match, the camera follows Teddy Hart back through the curtain where Special K is not impressed with him. They ask Teddy to party with them, but he turns it down. I just wrote my notes. This is the least believable angle <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, Teddy Hart would not want to party after a match. Um, cut to a backstage Raven promo. Raven has his freshly shaved head thanks to losing the hair match that tna fought to get instead of ring of honor he lost to uh, shane douglas we talked about that on the last show uh raven talks about ring of honor has decided that he and punk should pick each other's opponents tonight ravens picked terry funk to teach punk some lessons but he doesn't know why punk would pick steve carino for him when he's never lost to steve carino and then punk raven says i want this match to be raven's rules and i just wrote is there a single match in wrestling that Raven doesn't want to be in, want to be Raven's Rules? Like it's funny, in it always in all these promos he's always like I think this should be Raven's Rules. It's it's like he's always asking it for. It. He's like if you have a kid and he always just wants, like, fish sticks or something where you might as well not even ask him what he wants for dinner because it's always going to be the same answer. Is this fish like, sticks,
2: Raven- is this fish sticks <laughs> thing because I showed you that, that video of 80s commercials a few days ago for the fish yeah. sticks where they acted yeah. like they were really, really – frozen fish sticks were really, really nutritious for kids?
1: The father liked them more than the kids, Matt. <laughs> That's true. He did. Uh, but yeah. – uh, <laughs> um, Yeah, just – It's funny because,
2: you know, Raven does this a lot where he's like, this is going to be Raven's rules. But this is also becomes a trend on this show of wrestlers just deciding on their own about what the rules of their matches are going to be on this show. It's it's weird because it just it happens at least three times.
0: Well, the problem is at times and and I'm not going to sit there because I belong to a promotion that's guilty of this. It's sometimes hard because there's not necessarily an organized head of state because eventually we'll sit there and want them to go bad to sit there and competition you know, like uh, petition them to do this or do that, where everyone basically can make their own decisions where it's basically anarchy rules all over in wrestling. Like it's not like necessarily like, oh, you know, like we, we I, I tell guys during promos, mention AEW management. It's like why aren't you mentioning you or Danny? It's like just because like we don't want to be seen as characters here. Like we want people to think how incompetent we are so head forth AEW management.
2: Yeah. Well okay, well <laughs> so I, I accept that but then at least once I want to see somebody a wrestler just grab the mic at the beginning of a match and say guess what this match is now a lumberjack match and this like, a bunch of wrestlers just run down and circle the ring An impromptu lumberjack match that's what i'm waiting for
0: it's you know what uh, i i have my larry david little notebook right here <laughs> um, impromptu lumberjack can i can i actually uh, take your idea and please, read it up a little bit please please lumberjack please lumberjack strap match please I like Number it. Shack strap.
2: Improm- too though. It has to be a surprise. Impromptu. Well,
0: we'll we'll have the straps there because they'll be holding the ring. So okay, we'll just fine. take the, them off the ring. And you know, this is going to be golden. This is yes. really bringing back a golden day into the wrestling, wrestling vernacular.
1: I like it. Can't wait. And that leaves us with a Raven's favorite. Raven's rules match. Steve Crino defeats Raven in a Raven's rules match via pinball in 13 minutes eight seconds after he hits a super kick. Um, before the match, I'll hand it over to Matt, but before the match, we get a the second ever in Ring of Honor, big Carino entrance where he has the entourage of ring boys. He has Guillotine LeGrand. He has personal ring announcer Bobby Cruz and Simply Luscious, who for the first time is not even built as Ronnie Stevens, but as Veronica Stevens. So going ultra classy this time. LeGrand does his usual thing he did last time where he taps the mic to test it for an hour He adds it over to Cruz, who introduces both members of Crino's entourage before he gets to Steve. Cruz goes over a long list of people that Steve Crino has actually defeated, including Doink the Clown, David Flair, and Fujiwara. So that's a pretty eclectic, and he did really defeat all those people. Um, Cruz takes a water break mid-introduction, just like the last time he did this. And when Cruz gets to Jeff Hardy, I noticed it got a big reaction, which... You fickle Ring of Honor fans. (laughs) Jeff Hardy shows up. You shit on him. He just gets mentioned here. Well, I guess they're cheering that he, Crino beat Jeff Hardy, but, and for shame. But uh, Cruz gets to the end of the list, and he says if Jesus had ever donned the tights, Crino would have beaten him too. And then Crino even gets the streamers and everything. And really, Matt, I mean, I don't know what you thought about the match, but it seemed like the match was almost like the thing you had to watch, to get the the nice entrance.
2: I'm going to maybe... I don't know if I'm going to piss anybody off, but I'm going to surprise a lot of you. Uh, this was my favorite match so far. Um, what? Yeah, I thought it was a basic, old-school brawl, solidly executed. Um, I thought that it was paced well. They did... The, I thought Punk on commentary, his... His shenanigans worked perfectly here because he was commentating about his arch nemesis and the guy he picked to wrestle him, which I enjoyed. I li- I thought that the begin- opening match, the you know the the, the pre match stuff actually had energy, whereas you know so far it was just like kind of bland guys showing up. Um, I, I, I actually wrote down the entire list. I'm going to spare you reading it, but he does mention Rodney Mack. He mentions the Headbangers, and he mentions Val Venus at one point on this list. Um. So I want to should mention Raven. Uh, his head is shaved. I guess where did he where did he get his head shaved? Was it a TNA match against Shane yes, Douglas? Uh, Sh-
1: Shane Douglas, yeah, and that was the famous one where James Mitchell, yeah, used the uh, clippers the wrong way and kind of half scalped Raven. Raven ended up getting into a backstage confrontation with James Mitchell, where apparently, like, even though you would think Raven's in the right, Raven handled it so poorly that the wrestlers looked down on Raven for how he handled it, and he had to apologize, but. Yeah, so this is v- pretty recent a- after that.
2: Yeah, so because of this, Punk says that Raven looks like a concentration camp victim. And I want to say, did, did concentration camps have, like, weight rooms and steroids? Uh, I don't think so. Or but, flannels. Yes. But you
1: know what the other great part about that was, was this is, again, classic Punk. In storyline, he should hate Raven and love Carino at this point, but Punk says, Carino is a friend of mine, but I don't know who looks worse standing there. Like, he like he, <laughs> he can't resist shitting on Steve, even though in storyline, Raven's his, like, blood feud rival and Karino's his buddy. But,
2: but, but, but Gabe does ask him why he chose Carino and Punk's like, because he's a winner and you know it. And it's like, all right, geez, calm down. Um, well, he
1: also says at some point that's because because Carino has never beaten Raven, he has something to prove, which I thought was an OK way of spinning that.
2: Yes, I agree with that for sure. I thought that they, they did a nice job with that. And like th- that's just the, the little things that I enjoyed about this. It was slow. It was methodical. But I don't think anything they did looked bad. You know, at one point, Raven does like a spinning back kick and Punk's like, oh, he must have seen that on an ROH DVD somewhere, which I enjoyed. You know, Carino was methodical, but they all had their little, they had their slap fests. And I like, you know, unlike in most ROH matches when they do the slap fest, Carino uh, kind of cut it off because he poked Raven in the eye, which I liked. You know, Raven's all of his chair shenanigans, setting him up between the turnbuckle and whipping Raven into it. Uh, You know, just like, I don't know, the stuff that they did... Is um, The stuff that they did, actually, uh, is, it, it was well executed. It was slow, but well executed. Uh, other funny things on commentary, uh, Gabe said that Punk reminded him of a young Steve Carino. It is worth noting that Steve Carino is 30 years old on this show. <laughs> um, just, it's but he's ama- been it's, around for a while, though. It's true.
0: It's not like you know, like it's 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 an old thirty as opposed to the new thirty.
2: You That's know? true. That's like, uh, true. A lot. I mean, you know, just thirty is the new twenty-nine these days. So uh, absolutely. Yeah, I find. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I don't know. Like the like Raven ducked a lariat, hit a super kick. And they they did a double, like they were double knockdown count, which I enjoyed, and the crowd was into it. The crowd really liked it, and then. Um, you know, Carino got the Cobra sleeper, they did the arm drop spot, Raven kept his arms up, the crowd actually seemed to care. It hit the Raven effect and Punk pulled out the ref during the count. And Raven chased him. Punk and Carino uh, oh, chased Punk and Carino and uh, hit a super and Carino hit a super kick and he pinned Raven. I thought that this kind of, you know, screw job finish worked for a match like this. I don't know, it wasn't like a great match, I'm not saying that or anything. But I thought this was it was very effective for what it was. And I thought, that, I thought that both guys looked better than I expected them to. It was slow, but it was well done.
1: Keith, what did you think about getting a, a, a late ECW quality main event before intermission on this night? You got to, you know, this could have main evented probably quite a few ECW health shows near the end.
0: I think I think back then I was like, okay, you know what? This isn't too bad. I mean, it's not necessarily ECW, but it's ECW light for this case. I mean, I, I always sort of like those pick your poison where the guy is still so angry at the guy that he had to pick a match for that he sits there and goes in and interferes it and costs the cost him the match. So for that aspect of it, I I enjoyed it a little bit better watching it in the in the case of the home video variety because of the fact of the matches that we had seen so far that this was a little bit different from the other matches. That we had had. I mean, this is our our fourth match on the show, and we get entertained. I mean, I absolutely love those Bobby Cruz and Ring introductions back in the They're day. great. Those things were fucking great. I mean, the fact that Scotty Riggs was mentioned on an ROH videotape <laughs> was really just making me feel, you know, basically getting some of the cobwebs out of the, the corners of my heart. And the fact that even Mike Awesome and Razor Ramon were mentioned during had no mention of who. Which Razor Ramon it was? He called. Uh, he
2: called Ronnie Stevens a bitch on wheels, and I was just like, "Wheels, eh?" <laughs>
0: you know like i i really i i thought this match was was fine i don't feel this is anything like wow out of this show this is what you really want to see i mean uh, part of me was sort of intrigued by the fact that Raven didn't bleed because i remember watching that P- uh, tna pay-per-view live and you know as great as shane douglas puking was which was, was stupendous like raven getting his he- head cut and as someone that you know basically shaves his head on a bi-weekly basis like uh, i i you know, I, I don't even know how James Mitchell could find the way to get that deep into someone's (laughs) skull with that. So, you know, it was, it was an enjoyable match and it just, it it prolonged more of the Raven punk feud, which really, you know, brought punk front and center here in ring of honor, where it wasn't just necessarily here's CM Punk. He's a wrestler. He hates his friends where it was something where, you know, as we saw at that fantastic wrestle rave promo and everything else, it brought another level to him. And I think, I think basically, Pairing him up and Raven in Ring of Honor was was a fantastic idea, you know. Just that, not for the fact that one of them was a Pill Hound and the other one was Straight edged <laughs> I,
1: I thought this. I, I I might have been a little harsh by my wild reaction to Matts liking this match there because I thought this match was perfectly average. It was definitely you know kind of a throwback. You don't see this kind of match or this pace as much in Ring of Honor, and I wouldn't say either guy was dogging it, but they certainly weren't. B.J. Whitmering like, going for to steal the show, because that's not where they're at at their po- this point in their careers. And there, there, there are some charms to that. Like, unlike a lot of matches in wrestling, where everything is my spot, your spot, there was a real kind of structure in that, you know, Raven sells a lot, and then he makes a real honest-to-God comeback in this match, you know, where he gets a few moves at once and fires up. So in that sense, you know, th- those parts of it are nice. But I thought overall... It was just it just felt very middle of the road. I also felt it was a little bit weird that well not weird but when you say something's going to be a Ravens rules match, apart from two spots with a chair, one where Krino whipped uh, Raven into a chair that was put between the two wedged between two turnbuckles, and Raven's very regular that you see all the time dropped hold into a chair. There was nothing in this match you couldn't have done in a regular match except for the late match interference where CM Punk interferes and causes Raven to lose. So it felt like they literally just made this a Ravens rules match. So they didn't have to do ref distraction or anything like that. And they could do their interference. Like you you expect, Oh, this is going to be a crazy ECW match. It was just a straight up wrestling match for most of the way. And, The other thing I thought was interesting was on commentary during this match and on this night, they tried to make it sound like the Raven-Punk feud was over. Like Gabe does that thing where he says, you know, um, Raven won the feud on that that cage match. And then Punk even says, well, no, the feud ended when I put him strapped into the X symbol. And it's weird that, like, I mean, I know they want to set up that one one more match, but it's like they're acting like the feud is over on a night where they booked a each guy chooses the other guy's opponent night. Like that's something you usually don't do when a feud is over. Like, all right, you guys are done, but how about you pick who gets to beat each other, like wrestle each other tonight. But I guess Gage just wanted it to be more of a surprise maybe because he's, he's certainly acting on this night that like, no, like the feud is over and this is just something that's going to happen afterwards. Um, Also, we got our man on woman violence because our first of most. Yeah. I was going to say some of our man on woman violence. Uh, as uh, Veronica Stevens breaks up a Raven pin and then Raven puts her over his knee and spanks her. We are 26 for 26 in Ring of Honor shows with some instance of man-on-woman violence. Uh, It's... It gets, it gets it gets w- it gets worse.
0: Well, it's more discipline than
1: anything else, guys. <laughs> no, he, he, like, well, it's not
0: necessarily. Wow, here I am now becoming the <laughs> ROH apologist uh, to uh, go segue back from my WCW apologist on my appearance on uh, Between the Sheets.
2: Ooh. Well, maybe uh, maybe your uh, new nickname will be the Apologist, Keith Lipinski, the Doctor of Apologies. Oh. Well,
0: I'll take that over the sex any day of the week. By the way, <laughs> since you mentioned it, one of the things that I always regretted in Ring of Honor was the fact with the Feinstein stuff was the fact that it looked like they were going to take Raven to a very interesting place when he was asked to join, join Special K, and he said, no, I don't want to join it, but leave the girl. And so, like, I just wish one day that we can get <laughs> some resolution on that because we're many, many years in the future.
1: It was so weird that, like, like it's something you couldn't get away with now where also with the Joey Matthews stuff that they did in the first year with Special K where I don't think nowadays you could do an angle where a guy with a history of drug or substance abuse like interacts with a group that's all about substance abuse. Like it seems like you're flying a little too close to the sun. It's just it's one of those weird things where I didn't blink an eye at that kind of stuff 15 years ago when I was growing up. And now it's it just seems so weird well the know, le- like. the
2: leave the girl part is the part that you definitely couldn't get away with now
1: <laughs> um <laughs> because he needs he needs emotional support
2: why, why else would he need <laughs> a woman? I mean, like, requi- that require yeah. emo- uh, that emotional labor requires
1: consent too and we all know that so
2: absolutely <laughs> yes.
0: as we if we've learned anything in 2018 it, it should be that lesson
1: right. doctor of apologies keith lipinski <laughs> running prescriptions for regret um <laughs> After the match, Punk punches Raven over and over again as Gabe insists, even during this, that their feud is over. While he's punching Raven, Crino um, eventually comes in the ring and he stop or he gets back in the ring. He stops CM Punk, and he's angry. He says, "I don't need your help," and he slaps Punk right in the face. After a little bit of a stare down, Punk leaves the ring. Raven recovers. He offers Crino a handshake, which Steve accepts. And then Raven stays in the ring for quite a while until he mix out I mean milks out a chant from the crowd, Hulk Hogan style. Like yeah. he just keeps staying there till he gets it. He gets it.
2: Yeah, um, you you would think they would edit out the milking part and just make it look like he got it right away, but no. Nope.
1: Yeah, that that was one thing they didn't cut on this show. And <laughs> yeah. then that brings us to a four-corner survival match. Colt Cabana defeats AJ Styles. Chris Sabin and Matt Stryker in 18 minutes, 55 seconds after he pins Matt Stryker with the Colt 45 Keith. um, There were some people according to observer reports that thought this was the best match on the show. What did you think about it?
0: Oh, it was up there. I mean, it was definitely uh, after watching this all, like this, after re watching the show, like this was probably my second favorite match of the show. Like, I thought it was really, really solid. Like, I thought everyone looked really, really good. One thing I always enjoyed about Ring of Honor was they did every once in a while have those nice little four way matches where you have a guy with tons of personality like Colt Cabana, you have a guy with tons of talent like AJ Styles, you have a, a, a guy like Chris Saban, who's, you know, was pretty much an up-and-comer that time. I think he was called the future at that time. And then you have, you know, Matt Stryker in the match, so I, I, each guy sort of they play to their strength, and I, I thought this was a really good showing by all four of them here, where I think each of them got a little bit of, of shine in the course of this match, and uh, I, I absolutely loved it. So I, I, I thought, I thought, I remember watching at that time and, and rewatching, rewatching, we were watching the show. One of the things I got was wow. Everyone looks so fucking young, and like making me like sort of wonder, wow, do I look as young in this? And and then finding me in the crowd, and then being like, yeah, I, I guess so. I I, <laughs> I just I'm such a baby face that I'm just perpetually young, where it's it's all that all that bullshit I've been spewing through the years. But uh, but and hey,
2: you case, said I, the titular line. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but in, in any case, I I thought this was a very very good four way with everyone sort of doing that shine and. And just, you know, Colt uh, basically doing the Colt 45 and and winning the match. So I really, I I thought this was a really enjoyable match. But reading my review during the course of the show, uh, I I was doing a column for PW Torch at the time. And I believe that at one point, I believe that uh, Styles... uh, called colt a stupid uh f word for yep. gay people yes he said it which,
2: right at the right at the beginning of the match he called somebody that also i don't know if that's the same instance that you're talking about but i, I wrote it down as well
0: which was just, very i mean i was in the front row so like that was a thing for me where i was sort of like wow i hope no one you know of course i was like wow this is bad that he's saying this but another thing was wow imagine if this would happen today
2: what the repercussions would be like? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, AJ is known for that. Like, that's, I mean, I don't know if he's kind of gotten, quote, woke in the past few years since, uh, I, I honestly don't know. But in the in the 2000s, like, this happened a lot of the time, and people would talk about it. And it's a, it's a thing. I, I It was definitely noticeable on the show, and obviously people were a lot more forgiving of it back then, for whatever reason. But yeah, right now he would get, he would get booed out of the building, I think. I mean, maybe it depends on the building, but... Certainly no. in, certainly in like PWG, he would get be, be booed out of the building for saying that.
0: I, I've had to deal with this over the last two years, and I could tell you something. It's not something that you should say. I mean, part of it, though, you have to think about the context and stuff like that. Like back when I was a kid in the Middle Ages, like – That was unfortunately a slur that was acceptable and not really appreciated, but was acceptable. And thank God times have changed since that time. But it's just, you know, that's a word that just, you know, there's not a lot of words that I'm sitting there, you know, making sure my kids don't say. And thankfully they Never heard of it until I told them, listen, this is one of those few words that I never ever want to hear coming out of your mouth for any reason whatsoever.
2: Yeah, I you mean I, I can well, I can say I can say I, pretty I, I can say pretty unequivocally that while the word has not disappeared from the vernacular of, you know, teenagers and adolescents, it has it is much less common than it was when I was that age. Like it's you know, even like which was about twenty years ago, let's say, the there was, you know, obviously that was a very, very common insult that young Boys would say to each other and now it definitely you hear it sometimes but it's much much less common
1: it's it's weird like people who have listened to this podcast long for a long time will have heard me and matt talk about ring of honor's treatment of uh homosexual issues in the past and um one thing i think i might have mentioned then is like even though we criticize it like i i am we're not immune to it where i i think i've admitted before when i was a teenager me and my friends would call things that we didn't like gay, like as a bad negative thing. And the weird thing is we never used that as a derogatory term to gay people. Like we would never say any, we never said the F word about gay people. We didn't look down on them, but we would be like, Oh, that movie was so gay. And it took me until I was probably in my late teens or early twenties to realize how like bad that would feel if everyone said, you know, that's so Trevor you know, every time I didn't like... And I don't mean it about you. You know, it's just it's just shitty. It's Trevor, but you're good. Like, how bad that would feel. And, you know, the only thing we should call someone's name is Raven. You know, if something's so Raven, we should be free to talk about it. Otherwise, not so much. And <laughs> I think the thing that's weird about AJ Styles, like, is... AJ is... Times do change. I agree with that. But the thing AJ is kind of famous for is his... He is does not like swearing. Like people tell story, wrestlers tell stories about the lengths he goes to to not say like very mild curse words. Yet he really loved saying this word. Like it kind of shows what his mindset, I guess, was at least at that time. I don't know what it is now.
2: I, I know that he's at least he documented having said it in like 2014 in, in a, at a show in public, which is not that long ago. I heard him say it live in 2006. Um, it, he, likes, he, guy, like, he
1: likes the word more than most people do. I will say that. But it's not like this is a guy who just you know we know people who they say a lot of offensive things, but they they don't really have a lot of malice. They just say all sorts of crazy things. This is a guy. He, he probably wouldn't be comfortable saying the word shit, but he was very comfortable saying this word. So yeah, that's always that's always a weird thing, and it's one of those things you have to do when you, I think when you like entertainment where you have to rationalize like. Your love of someone's talent, with the fact that maybe you wouldn't, they wouldn't be your favorite dinner guest. I'll just say the best we um, can do.
2: The best we can do is what Keith did, which is just like make note of it. Be like, this isn't cool, but it happened, yeah. and it is worth noting. <laughs>
0: Like and, like, and just it's 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 not something you should do. Like, yeah. it's something where hopefully he realizes the errors of his ways. Right now, either that or he's listening to that Dire Straits "Money for Nothing" song and thinking it's okay. It's in that it case, is. it's not okay to listen to Dire Straits, and it's not okay to use that word. That's all.
1: <laughs> As for this match, though, um, people who listen to the show know that I. I'm a very not big fan of four-way matches. I thought this was solid. I, I think it moved at a good clip, which is mostly what I ask for from these matches. If you're going to do a four-way, use the four-way element to your advantage and just keep having guys come in and out, you know, quick. And I think if you watch this match, you were never very far from, like, the next interesting moment. They didn't. There wasn't a lot of downtime. There wasn't a lot of, like, middling stuff where guys are just killing time. They were all working at a good clip. There was a lot of in and out stuff, I, uh, which that's a good out of context quote. And I don't have much more to say about the match itself. Matt, as someone who's a lot higher, not a lot higher, but higher in general on four ways than me. Like, where's this ranked in the 2003 Ring of Honor four way pantheon for you? I would put it like toward the middle of the pack. It
2: definitely wasn't one of the best ones. It definitely wasn't one of the worst ones. It wasn't in the, you know, in the realm of that. Michael Shane and Slick Wagner Brown and Hernandez one from a few shows ago. Yeah, that's in the basement. Yeah, I'd say that's probably the worst one I could think of off the top of my head. This one's in the middle. It, you know, they, it didn't have that like over-the-top crowds going nuts. I thought the crowd heat was a little bit hurt for uh, for this for whatever reason. I actually think on the whole show, other than the main event, the crowd heat was not what I would have expected. It almost felt like the audience was actually done with this building.
1: Which is weird, because I think this was their biggest crowd, because a lot of times when they would talk about, like, the sold-out Murphy wreck, they would say, like, 450, 475. This was reportedly 550, and I think even looking at, like, live reports from, like, Mike Johnson and stuff, like, they were talking about, we couldn't believe they could fit that many people in the building. Like, yeah, it pretty large, and yet, yeah, it, it's not as loud as some of the earlier murphy rec shows yeah
2: i'd say this this show like on dvd seemed to have a quieter crowd than almost any of the other murphy Wreck shows that i could think of not that they were dead or anything but i thought that hurt this match a little bit um and i didn't think aj was perfectly at the top of his game but overall it was a good match you know there's a, they did a lot of stuff it was actually one kind of scary spot where saban came off the top with a spin kick to Stryker and then landed on top of aj who was lying on the mat and i was like oh yeah oh this seems oh, actually yeah. dangerous um, but I, I, I thought the right guy went over Cabana, you know, it was his, it's his time. You can clearly tell they're, they're getting behind him and he's performing well. And he definitely seems to have so much more personality than any of these other guys, including AJ, who's obviously a star, um, at this point. But I, I liked the, I liked the finish. I thought it, I thought it was good. I, I wouldn't say much more than that, but I thought it was good. Um, I, 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 I one thing I thought was funny. Gabe was like, "I'm really looking forward to Saban versus Stryker at the next show," and I'm like, "They're wrestling each other literally right now. Can we be in the
0: moment?" <laughs> well, it's different. There's two other boneheads in this <laughs> yeah. match. Okay. You can okay, sit an there and easily sit there and ruin. be like,
2: "Be like, oh boy,
0: imagine this is what You know, how would you like though? Here's the thing though. Like, can you imagine though? I, I, I'll give Gabe credit for this." Having him be the announcer is a fantastic idea because the fact he could sit there and throw those seeds in there. But at the same time, he'd sit there and say, like, wow, imagine how great that was. But imagine how excited I am now that they were going to see these two guys <laughs> later on go one on one without these other two schlubs in here.
2: So I can't wait to watch these two guys wrestle without the other better wrestlers. My I can't f- wait till
0: fifty percent is gone from this match. Another fifty percent is gonna be awesome.
1: My favorite Gabe commentaryism is when he like he's gonna put two guys in a tag team, but they wrestle each other. And he goes, "You know, I think these two would be a hell of a tag team." And then it's like the very next show they're a tag team. Like, yeah, it's always cute. Those really obvious like Gabe commentary seeds that he plants. Um, couple of things on commentary I thought were funny actually. Uh, on on commentary, CM Punk says he would never hit a woman. He put Trinity through a table this year in Ring of Honor. Like,
2: and, is and, and uh, technically a woman. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, But also, also, he doesn't. If if even if that were true, he would not fit in very well in t- two thousand three <laughs> ROH. I think we can agree on that.
1: That's the biggest heel move he could make. Yeah, Maybe that's just. Um, and the other big funny part I thought was, uh, oh, actually, there's a couple comment. Um, one line is Gabe's asks at one point during this match, "Who will ever forget AJ and Chris Sabin's NWA title match at Um I'll say me. <laughs> I watched it a few months ago. <laughs> like, uh, like um, and then at one point Colt spits on AJ. AJ responds by throwing his gum at. Colt and for some reason this just captures Punk's imagination and he loses it and for so much of the match he just keeps yelling who throws gum over and over again like he can't believe that someone throws gum and he just keeps coming back to it kind of a cute moment and yeah P- Colt's commentary really getting over in these matches like he's getting he, just you seeing him come out of his shell more and more in matches in Ring of Honor and he's getting like big reactions for such simple stuff like teasing dives and things like that and just not doing them. But uh cut back to Dan Moff back in Bayonne, New Jersey. He talks calmly on the phone to Alice in Danger about what happened so far, which means a lot of great stuff like, "Yep. Yeah, oh, and then what? Ha- oh, yeah, you did that." And um <laughs> I, <laughs> it, it's great. Um <sighs> <sighs>
0: Sorry, I'm just picturing like you know. I I, I I watched this. I watched this like a few hours before we recorded this, and and it was just. What made the promo even better was the fact that I was just picturing Alice in Danger in the background doing the Charlie Brown uh, sound wah, effects wah, for wah. the teachers. What <laughs> What? And then what happened in John Xavier's match featuring Lollipop? Wah 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 wah! Where they sort of have to explain everything that's going on there. So, and by the way, this is the 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 second of the trilogy of moth promos (laughs) that we have on here. So, two Mm. D, two VHS, three moth promos. Pure excitement.
1: Uh, Moth just tells Danger to find Rob Feinstein and tell him he'll be back in Baltimore, which is the next show, and that he's not going to let him pull him out of the Field of Honor tournament. Then he tells him to call him back after the Alice in Danger match. A voice off-camera asks Moth if he wants to shoot a promo now, but Moth doesn't want to talk right now. Um, I'll just say that if, if you were a wrestler that could even talk a little bit, 2002-2003 Ring of Honor was like a haven for you, because if you could talk a lick, Gabe would give you multiple backstage segments every show, whether you had something to say or do or not. And this is... This is proof positive of that. Like, yeah, it's you,
2: you actually can't... it's actually um, it's a, it's a very under unheralded story. ROH was a great place for guys to work on their promo skills because they get so much more promo time than
1: WWE wrestlers do, unless you're in like a main eventer. It's crazy. And, and and again, anyone like Christopher Daniels, Steve Crino, anyone like that, if they could talk a little bit, Gabe would always make sure they had a promo pretty much every show, like no matter what. Like, he, he felt that, that was important. And so I felt like, I mean, that's probably one of the big reasons Punk hit it off with Gabe so quickly is Gabe did have a real, I think, taste for promos. And, you know, a lot of these guys at this point weren't great promos, even some of the better workers. So as soon as he ever found a guy that could talk, he was just like, oh, thank God. Do you want to do commentary? Do you want to do three segments a night? Like, anything, please, just please fill up time talking. Like, he was very appreciative of that. Yeah, I totally
0: agree. And it's something where I think this definitely helped make their characters. Like, that definitely puts the character over. Even if it's a crappy promo, you at least know, okay, I could forget about this guy. Or, like, wow, this guy can do something. You know, it's something where not everyone's going to be a CM Punk promo right away, where they could be the first of the three Dan Moff promos featured on this release right here. So.
1: and I remember even thinking back, like going to the importance of angles and storylines. Like when I was first getting into Ring of Honor around a little after this time, you know, all the guys that work Ring of Honor worked other indies like awa oh, Mid-South and DWG um, and places like that. And to me, one of the big differences in my mind was always Ring of Honor is where they actually do storylines. Like I could watch these guys wrestle each other somewhere else, but it won't matter, quote unquote. And I think that's a great thing that there are places like AAW not to kiss up to you too much. No, you I'll allow it. But You know, that places that still, you know, take guys that you can see somewhere else but like this is a place where you're going to get to see more than one side of them. It's not going to just be in the ring because there are so many places that offer you that and it's great but I mean when I was growing up I looked out for a place like Ring of Honor because it gave me that extra thing on top of that. Like I could see these guys wrestle and have a storyline tying it up.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's one of the things. I mean, I, I think part of the things right now with storytelling in 2018 compared to this stuff is Gabe could have guys cut on promos because he had all these guys booked on all these shows, where in this day and age it's sort of hard to track down talent and have talent on a number of shows all at the same time. So it's sort of where I, I feel that this year it just a uh, to, uh My own AAW horn here. I feel that this is the year where we're trying to do a lot more storytelling because we're trying to have guys around as much as possible and build around that as opposed to having the oh my god dream matches. Where we'll we'll give you we'll give you one of those too. But I mean, I think we'd rather tell some stories this year. So because that's that's one of the things I've always loved about pro wrestling. Like pro wrestling to me wasn't you know about the athletic competition within the ring. It was the stuff backstage and everything else that's going on and you know shooting how many promos. So someone goes, why is there a camera or like someone sitting there where now most of our top guys will sit there and say, Keith, come on, can you let me alone? You know, and that literally <laughs> becomes part of the promo where it's sort of I feel I'm going to get harassed pretty. I'll get like an order of harassment soon enough.
1: But, yeah, I, I just want to my one bit of advocacy is just telling people that listen. I know we have some people that listen that are involved in wrestling. Like this is a time where going back and doing that is going to differentiate your product. Oh yeah. And that it's something that worked for Ring of Honor. Like not to have everyone then, you know, ape AAW and make them seem less special. But it would be nice to see more companies like, you know, don't be the guy that books the hot match. Be the guy that books the hot match and gives it a story, you know. And then that'll that'll be different than the other five promotions booking that same great match. But um, next we're f- finally an in intermission. Gary, Michael Capetta is backstage with Colt Cabana. Gary's excited. Colt's excited. Colt again, teases his big history changing surprise. That's coming later when cool. CM Punk barges in and he starts cutting a promo. Uh, he just completely oversteps Colt in the background. Colt briefly lifts Gary off his feet to help him stay in the shot behind Punk's shoulder, which was, I admit it was pretty, I laughed. It was pretty funny. Um, Punk says it's ironic that Raven chose a guy who needs to be pilled up to function to be Punk's opponent tonight. Uh, Punk puts over Funk's rep- reputation in Philly, but he says he beats the odds and he beats the gods, which is a nice little alley-esque bit of word play, simple wordplay there. Um, Punk says he won't call himself a legend killer, though, so ha-ha, Randy Orton, in your face, because he doesn't consider Terry Funk a legend. He says Funk is a father figure to Raven, and tonight Raven is going to cripple him, and that's going to be on Raven's head. So good promo from Punk here, I thought.
2: And I like, and I like that they try to do the turnabout where it's like, hey, now you see how it feels to be interrupted in your promo. I enjoyed that little <laughs> gag that they had.
1: Um, then there's a video – Ad for all of ring of honors upcoming live events all the way into 2000 early 2004 and the only reason i mentioned this is because they're playing a clip from a past show during this and the clip they're playing is not something exciting it's raven choking punk with a chain in their recent cage match and then lackadaisley walking around the ring as punk sells for 50 seconds, <laughs> and that's the clip they thought would sell like hey be here live um be here live for more choking <laughs> for more poorly received, like the one of the most poorly received live matches we've held this year. Um, next, after intermission, we get the Ring of Honor tag tie, t- tag team title gauntlet match to crown champions AJ Styles and Red had the title stripped because Red's injured. He's got getting surgery. He's out for like a year. So this is a gauntlet match where two teams start. Whoever wins faces whoever's next in the line in the gauntlet, and then when they're out of teams, whoever wins the last match gets the titles. This is the worst way to crown a new team, uh, new champion when you think of fairness, because whoever draws last has a huge advantage, and in fact, the backseat boys draw last, and guess what? They win because this is what happens. The backseat boys win the tag titles, and the whole order of this match goes... It goes 27 minutes and 3 seconds. The order starts with the match starts. First off, the tag gauntlet starts with a six-man tag, not a tag team match. It's Angel Dust, Deranged, and Hydro taking on Just Incredible and the Car- and Devito and Lok of the Carnage Crew. And then Gabe just explains, well, after this match, whoever wins will just kick out one member. Um, special K win of Deranged and Hydro, so they decide those are the two they're keeping. The Briscoes come and beat them quickly. Then the Briscoes beat Dunn and Marcos next quickly. Special K of Dixie and Izzy come in now. They beat the Briscoes after a few minutes. And then finally, the Backseat Boys of Cashmere and Acid come in, and they earned the tag titles by being a whopping one team. They beat Dixie and Izzy. So this was basically like a series of scramble matches. I mean, the first match, the six Man, was probably like 9 or 10 minutes, and then everything else took up the other 17. Some of the matches were outright squashes, basically, like some of the Briscoes matches... And uh, but I actually thought this was a lot of dumb, dumb fun the way I like scramble matches. It was just big spots, guys getting murdered, guys taking crazy bumps, particularly special K, just too many things to name off the top of my head. Um, and I didn't mind the booking of you gave the Briscoes a couple wins, but had them eventually lose, so you kind of protected them, but you still let the backseat boys, the team you want to win, win in the end. Um, I'm sure if I look at my notes, I'll have more things to point out, but yeah, I thought this was just good, dumb fun the way scrambles are. Matt, what did you think? Um, this
2: wasn't really for me. Um, I you know i I get the idea behind the booking. It was a lot more of an an angle than a match. It sort of felt like, like it's not like anyone was really going for or had the opportunity to go for impressing anybody with their wrestling. You know what I mean? It was just, like you said, dumb fun. So it was really about a few things. One, getting the Briscoes over, because this is really like they're new as a team. You know, they had those three matches against Styles and Red, and they had singles matches at the last show, and now this is like their real debut as a team against other tag teams. And so this was really about showing that they were like world beaters, and then they got screwed by Special K, so it's about how Special K are like cheaters. And then the Backseat Boys kind of came in at the end, and they're the heroic, you know, already over babyface tag team, and they emerged triumphant. I-, I have to say, I'm a little bit sick of Special K, and I'm someone who's higher on <sighs> Special. I'm, I'm, some, I'm someone <sighs> How who's. How dare
0: you! Harumph! Well,
2: well, I'm higher on Special K, no pun intended, than most of people that I seem to read or hear talk about them from the time. But there's just like, there's a lot of them on these shows. And this, you know, all like, it's the same, like cheating. And then somebody is misogynistic to Becky. They did the same thing here where Credible kissed her when she got on the ropes. And then Gabe was like, oh, she, uh, you know that's the tenth guy tonight. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. Um, so there, there was you know they had that again, and I, you know there was nothing wrong with this as, as from a booking standpoint. I think it got done what they wanted to get done, but I just wasn't feeling
1: it. Mm. Um, what what do you think about this live, Keith? Like this had to have been, like I I think this is the match that probably translates better live because it's just. So Absolutely. visceral, like you're just seeing so many crazy things flying in front of you. Especially you, I th- I believe had a pretty good seat for this match. So I it mean, was, uh,
0: yeah, it was uh, it was a match. Uh, it was. <laughs> I mean, the the problem was you're right. I mean, it basically starts off with a lot of scramble nonsense to start off with. I mean, I always enjoyed the wars of the Carnage crew and the Special K. I was not quote unquote upset with you know special k uh you know taking over the shows like i enjoyed the special k gimmick a whole lot like that to me like wow doing a gimmick about ravers and having a straight edge punk rocker on a show like that that was right right there in your 2003 wheelhouse right there but uh and i always just love the carnage crew because i i really enjoy the announcers during the carnage crew putting over how much they hated their ugly ugly fat wives, and stupid kids like that—that—that—that's that's, that's just tremendously entertaining. The match itself was was fine. Watching it again, like there was a few moments where I was like hoot and hawed. but then after like the first 14 minutes, it just seemed like okay. Here's another member, here's another team for Special K. No wonder everyone hates them because they have two teams within this gauntlet. Like you can't sit there and say that. It's not like they have a surrogate Ring Crew Express, you know, like a second a second layer of Ring Crew Express to have that in there. So, I mean, it was something where like what the backstreets get in and then a few minutes later they're the la- they're the last team that's in there, and then they win the titles. And like it's like, okay, that's cool. I mean they're 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 the hometown favorites. You can't say that they weren't over. You can't say that they weren't impressive, but this wasn't necessarily the match for them to be impressive in because more of it was telling the story more about the damn H. C. Lok and his wayward daughter.
1: I-, I think though you guys are really missing something here. Not just that I felt like this was 27 minutes and I never really got tired of it and I thought the Bristols were great at killing Eyes. I think you're missing the most important thing which is between the first and second match the camera cuts to the entrance and after a brief second just some random old man walks out of the curtain and Punk says is that Johnny Cash there? And like they, they they don't cut that out of the tape they just leave and I, 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 think, I don't think any match that has that in it can be bad I very much miss that yeah, it's 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 great. If you have it, look for it, um this old, random old guy who must have just been working in the back just decide to come out then and punk just riffs on it.
2: I, uh, I, I one one thing I will note like I just made a note of it during the match. They had a segment that had Jay Briscoe versus Hydro and like who would have thunk that it, that would have been like a major world title feud and match so many years later. Um and I also enjoyed Gabe saying that Hydro was like the only a special K member who is in a good physical, like good uh, visual condition in terms of having muscles and stuff um, because he had his own home gym, that rich kid.
1: Uh, yeah. And he also went like, and, and he was like, hydro drove himself to the, to the match tonight and his parents Lexus. And it's like, I always love like Gabe trying his best to push the, like how spoiled they are. Like his dad lets him use his black American express card. Ugh, like just the lengths he goes, I guess we should mention that during this match, Punk leaves commentary midway through. And the storyline excuse they use is Punk gets offended because Gabe keeps bringing up the Lucy angle to offend Punk and, like, Raz him. and Which seems like a weird thing to Raz Punk about. Like, haha, a girl you're friends with got abducted and never seen again or something. Like, that. <laughs> like ha-ha, Punk, you know, sucks to be you. It's, like,
2: a, it's in line with Jimmy Bauer. I mean, not Jimmy Bauer. Oh, that's later. Chris Lovey's general yeah.
1: misogyny. <laughs> Jimmy Bauer would never do that. He's an upset. Not at all. Come on.
0: Let's let's, let's, let's show respect, please. That's
1: right. Chris Lovey was a scumbag. But yeah, yeah, Doug Gentry replaces him. Um, Punk during this match compares himself to Martin Luther King, Gloria Steinem, and Huey P. Newton. So Punk really getting the references in there. Um, Maybe a little bit of foreshadowing of the future of Punk and Teddy Hart's relationship where at one point, Gabe mentions Teddy Hart is still around and Punk goes, who? Never heard of him. So a little bit of stuff there. And then finally, after the match, we do get Teddy Hart coming back because after the backseats win, Special K start beating down the backseat boys. They do a couple big dives before the Briscoes come in. They fight off Special K. Mark Briscoe hits a shooting star pressed to the floor. And then Teddy Hart comes out complete and he's completely changed his gear from his match. Now he's wearing pink gear. He does a crazy twisting dive that almost overshoots. He almost hits he basically hits the barricade. He almost goes into the first row.
2: That's the move uh. that the people were seem to be waiting for during his actual match. Then, yeah. he, then he pulled it out there.
1: And uh, Teddy Hart ends up raising the backseat's hands and then shaking the briscoe's hands. And Cashmere, I know at this point, Johnny Cashmere parties with a woman at ringside as Dr. Keith looks on. If you w- want to see Dr. Keith at this show, this is your best chance because look at Dr. Keith being very happy and supportive <laughs> of this woman. And getting some <laughs> fashion your love. Like it goes like I actually caught stills of this and it goes from like surprise to like very happy for this woman. It's very sweet actually. Aww.
0: And the <laughs> one picture of this you did send to me, like uh I, I definitely look like I I tooted in my pants during this, or, or, or I'm literally trying to be, first of all, I'm, I'm definitely, I don't have a beard here, I, I, I'm, I'm rocking my awesome long sideburns, but I literally look like I'm saying the phrase,
1: ooh
0: during it, so.
1: You go through a range of emotions during this five seconds, and uh, <laughs> to point out again, I, I just want to point out quick how, like, into Ring of how into Teddy Hart Ring of Honor was most wrestlers when they get their first match in Ring of Honor don't have a ready set angle and already on this show not only did Teddy Hart get a match he got a backstage prong with Special K and then an in ring angle here where basically he completely steals like the glory from the backseat boys like at the end of this segment. The focus isn't on the backseat boys just won the tag titles. The focus is on Teddy Hart did a crazy dive and saved the day, and it's like shaking everybody's hands. Well, on the, on and this is on night one for him, so obviously they liked him. Well, to, on the bright side
2: for the backseat boys, Trent Acid got to steal the show a little more because when he pinned Izzy, he humped
1: Izzy's leg very, <laughs> like very aggressively. So he was hey. really excited to win those titles. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, Meanwhile, Homicide is backstage at 0-1 in Japan, cutting a promo. He says he wishes he was at Glory by Honor. He mentions that Loki disrespected the hell out of him recently in Ring of Honor. And Homicide says, in real life, I'm not Homicide. I'm D, the guy who trained Loki and made him a star. He says they know each other's lives and that they know where each other lives, actually. And that key forgot where he came from. If he wants to fight, come to the projects and face Homicide there. I wrote that was a quick about face cuz the whole angle so far before this was like Homicide trying to keep low key and his like street gang friends happy and trying to be in the middle this promo all of a sudden he's just like fuck low key so Yeah yeah he literally I was like really surprised he went this far he called him a punk ass bitch and yeah, and like literally there's like Ring of Honor storytelling pretty good in this era, but here, it's like he literally goes from being on the fence to just, like, fuck you, come fight me in the streets. And
2: I actually and I actually wonder if, like, Homicide was, like, told to say that. I almost feel like he was just be like, say, like, yeah, you know what, you're willing to fight Loki now, and then Homicide was just like, yeah, he's a punk-ass bitch.
1: <laughs> that, that's
2: how I picture it going down. Like, he's
1: going full Homicide here and going, like, I know where you live. Yeah. So, like, um... Homicide talks about Samoa Joe. He says he would have won their last match if he didn't get distracted by his own entourage. He wants one more match with Joe, and he says he doesn't care if it's not even for the title. He says even if it's a street fight, he'll take it. And there's some more f- foreshadowing because guess what? They're going to have a match. It's not going to be for the title. It's going to be a street fight. I
2: um I I miss Homicide on this show. He's you know he's had the best match or m- close to it on like almost every show we reviewed in the past few months, and. Uh... This one, uh, obviously he wasn't on it. Uh, it. It You definitely noticed there was no homicide match here.
1: Yeah, he's definitely a big presence, and it, yeah, we missed him. Although, I guess it's says something that they still could put on a show this big. Again, that depth, and they didn't need every of their major names to be there. Next, we're saying goodbye to somebody, though, because Alexis Lurie makes her ring, high-fiving fans the whole way. Gary Michael Capetta is in the ring waiting for her with a mic, and as she enters, she gets a bunch of streamers, big chants from the crowd, Gary says he doesn't know anyone more professional, professional than Alexis Lurie. And he also calls her a sweetheart. Aww. And uh, Gary hands off the mic. The crowd starts a big please don't go chant because for those who don't know, this is Alexis Lurie's last Ring of Honor show. She signed with OVW or WWE um, go on her way to becoming Mickey James. And Alexis says it's been an honor to perform in front of these fans and she appreciates all their support. She finishes her thank yous, and then the lights go out, because Special K's crashing the party. Because
0: they um, haven't been on the show too much yet. <laughs> yeah, like so.
1: Matt before was saying, oh, too many segments. Well, here they are again. All 100 members come out. They have her surrounded when Joey Matthews scares them out of the ring with a chair. Joey Matthews, before the pre-show, hadn't been seen in Ring of Honor for a while. And for those who didn't know, he, at the time, was her real-life boyfriend around this point. Gabe says Joey was the one who brought Alexis into Ring of Honor in the first place. Joey shakes Alexis's hand and goes to leave, and Alexis stops him, plants a big kiss on him, the crowd loves it, and I'll just say, for people that always are like, oh, indie fans, you know, like, they're, like, basement-dwelling weirdos and they don't like relations, like, they popped for this huge, like, I think all wrestling fans like when people are in love, it's just, from Randy and Liz to even in Ring of Honor, people just like People like love. Let's just, let's just say the hard facts people. And, um, love is
0: over. Is what yeah, exactly. Love like, is over.
1: Not enough love stories in wrestling today. Um, Joey pauses and then clotheslines Alexis and calls special K back in to celebrate. This is like a Russo esque swerve. I wrote at down. Um, Special K holds Alexis as Joey prepares to hit her with a chair when Slugger comes out in what I can only describe as Slugger casual wear. I think this is the first time he hasn't worn a suit and is just wearing, like, a leather vest. Uh, Special
0: it's K a nice vest, though. Please, please. let's nice Literally, this is where I'm going to go on and on about the vest for 25 minutes, which will be deleted eventually from the podcast and put on my own Keith Talks,
2: the vest of Ring of Honor. Not since Keith, Keith, Keith talks the best of Ring of Honor. This is better be a weekly series, Keith. Oh my goodness. It's just talking about,
0: it's just talking about why we didn't have the slugger versus slugger match that we always wanted.
2: So we call we called, we, 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 we titled him anti slugger. The other guy, just for the record. Goodness, yes. I, I don't know. I, I always,
0: <laughs> I was wondering where the, where we would get to that on this podcast. And I'm glad we did. So thank you oh, gentlemen. Yes.
1: So special case, happy to see uh, slugger. Cause they still think they're with him, but, uh, then he attacks Hydro, so Slugger is officially turned on Special K. Julius Smokes and Benny Blanco come out, and Smokes tells the timekeeper to ring the bell, and we have an impromptu Alexis Lurie versus Hijinks match.
2: Our second example of the wrestlers deciding for themselves <laughs> the rules as they go along. Yeah.
1: Gabe reminds us that Hijinks was the guy who spiked Laurie's drink a couple shows ago, and says that's why she missed the last show. So, Gabe doing some good detail work here, where like not only did are we pay, paying off that she was drugged, but that even explains why she missed the last show. So, and it made great. her
2: so ill that she missed like a whole like a whole extra like couple weeks, and yet there were no legal repercussions from the yeah, person yeah. who
1: poisoned her. I, I like the, yeah that she she was drugged, but it's like. He only talks on the contest that made made her miss a show. Not that, you know, this is horrific or like she's out for revenge, which he had not mentioned. It's just, that's why she missed the last show. You know, just GHB poisoning. Um, <laughs> they work a short match with smokes as ref. Lori wins with her reverse DDT finisher slugger, hoists her on his shoulder and Gabe. Thanks Laurie for everything she's done for ring of honor, which, okay. I, this is a weird segment because on one hand, and this is only the second time Ring of Honor really did the big send off to someone they knew was going to WWE. Paul London got the first one. Alexis Larie seems like a very charming, nice woman. I'm glad she got this moment. On the other hand, everyone acted like she had done so much for Ring of Honor. Uh, like, like at one point, Gabe is like, think, "Who could forget her matches with like Persephone?" and and yeah. it, it's just like.
0: <laughs> it's like like Gabe, Just start making up names like <laughs> like
1: like like Gabe like Gabe, Gabe did t- he mentioned two matches that's all he had like he had she had two decent matches with Sumi Sakai and Persephone they were like six
2: minutes that- they were like six minutes
0: long <laughs> do you mean women of honor champion
1: that's another one like that's like to me that's my version of Matt being wowed by Hydro although I agree that's crazy that he's become a, what he has been but like the idea that Sumi Sakai is still kicking and like uh, with a title, it's pretty crazy because she seems like she's been here forever. But
2: well, she was literally there on the thir- fourth ROH show. So yeah,
1: so yeah, this was this was an interesting segment and had a little bit of everything in it, including man on woman violence, keeping the street going.
2: Yeah, this was bad though because it was also like domestic violence. <laughs> yeah it wasn't it wasn't
0: you know like it you know as much as we want people to like love we also like to see love fall apart as well so really they were toying with both sides of the emotional spectrum here uh like you know and, and more importantly i think I think the one thing that you gotta remember here is bookers and people that promote wrestling really love closure and this was a way to close off the alexis and hijink storyline <laughs> i drink drugs alexis alexis defeats him in a uh impromptu wrestling match with uh J Train uh, Julius Smokes uh, being the special guest referee. So really, this is a, a perfect wrestling store story. And bravo to everyone involved in here.
2: <laughs> I thought you were going to say that people who book wrestling really like clotheslines because like, <laughs> well, they that's, yeah, I that too because they did have line that.
0: line that gave Alexis was sort of
2: like you know like what why are you kissing me? Here's a clothesline.
1: So that's right. Next, we have another, this this might be the record Ring of Honor show for the number of promos sent in from other locations, because Jim Cornette has sent in a promo, not from Japan, not from Bayonne, New Jersey, I assume from Louisville. Uh, Jim says he's coming back to Ring of Honor to get revenge on the Prophecy. Jim says he's had more main events than the Prophecy has had Master in- sessions. I, I couldn't even get that out of my mouth. <laughs> that's so not li- that's
2: family. not literally what he said. He was like, "You have uh, practiced the art of self pleasure, or something like that."
1: I, I wrote my notes, although he says it in a much cla- I said in a somewhat classier way. Yeah. Um, Jim says he's returning to Ring of Honor for two reasons: to get revenge and to make money with some new talent. This was just if you've seen a hundred different fired up Jim Cornette promos, this was one of them. <laughs> I'm not saying that to be like talking down of Jim Cornette's promos. Obviously, he's great at it, but this was just... I feel like Jim Cornette could cut one of these promos on almost anything. Uh, Next up, we get Punk making his way before the next match to the... making his way to the ring with a headband. This is a new look. I've never seen seen a Punk with a headband before. He looks like he could be the roadie for poison. Um, Punk says, in 1983, when Punk was four years old, Terry Funk retired for the first time forever which is the classic way in 1983 if you google it youtube it terry funk had a classic promo when he retired for the first time in all Japan and he really drew out that word and said it over and over again so you're telling me of-
2: you're telling me he wasn't actually referencing the sandlot with that line
1: <laughs> <No>. okay <laughs> well thank god for a sandlot reference that's
2: i thought Come he was here. referencing the behind uh,
0: beyond the mat uh, clip showing clips of that promo so well, it, it, i it, saw it more meta
1: that's probably where he saw it from yeah actually probably yeah because that yeah it is in there um punk says he could make fun of funk's family he could shit on funk's career but it's all been done before and for some reason when punk says it's all been done before this gets applause from the crowd like yeah it's all been done before they really um,
2: well, they, who did they really like the bare naked ladies i think that's the <laughs> what was going on well, there
1: big fans of stunt um <laughs> Punk says everyone tries to take Funk out, but he keeps on keeping on because he's a drunk, pilled up, schizophrenic, multi personality dickhead. Crowd chants, We want Terry. Punk says Terry has to take pills just to wrestle now, and says he will dismantle Terry forever. He keeps shouting forever into the ringside camera, and for some reason, Ring of Honor took this point to cut from the ringside cam to the hard cam. So instead of (laughs) Punk's face being right in the filling up the screen, we see a long distance shot of him on the apron screaming into a cameraman's face, Um, and that leads us to Terry Funk defeating CM Punk by disqualification in 15 minutes 46 seconds when punk refused to release a a figure four on a rope break. Now, um, first off one thing from the observer at this time, Dave would occasionally like something he doesn't do now outright tell people how much money guys got charged to be, to get booked. And he says here besides Raven, the price for the top indie talent right now is Terry funk at $2,500 per shot. Terry Funk debuted tonight for Ring of Honor and probably did his one appearance with the promotion. They aren't budgeted for a $2,500 guy on their shows, but they can pa- get package deals on Legends for one-shots because they also bring them in for to tape shoot interviews. So, yeah, this was something talked about before where apparently the only reason they felt they could afford him was that, I get—I don't know if this was included in the $2,500, but they also, for this night, I guess, did a shoot interview with him. And I think Dave said that other than uh, Terry... The highest paid guy on the indies at this point was Raven, which I think he said made $1,500 a show. So this was Ring of Honor. Like, I think the one time they used Terry Funk, really splurging on him. And Matt, you said that you were really interested in what I thought about this match. I'm going to have you go and then Keith go, and I'll, I'll keep you in suspense. What did you think about the semi-main event, Terry Funk versus CM Punk?
2: All right. I don't want to sound mean here. Because, like, Terry Funk's like the legend of legends. Like, you know, very on the very, very short list of greatest wrestlers of all time. But also, in 2003, he was old. He was shot. He certainly couldn't work in ROH style, nor would I want him to try. But this match was not what I would call good. Like, it was um, very lethargic. I thought that down the stretch, they kind of got to a point where they were able to work it into a dramatic match with the crowd and stuff. when Punk was taking out Terry's leg and reapplying the figure four and all that stuff, but for a good large chunk of the match, it was plotting it was slow, you know Punk was trying his best, Funk has presence but the crowd wasn't super into it it was another one of those deals where Punk suddenly was like, this is now a hardcore match, you know, just like making up the rules as he goes along, which, you know, third time on the show but whatever, I guess that's just how it is um, but it said, it said that Funk told, uh, Gabe said that Funk told him that he wanted to show that he could still go hold for hold in ROH. And while he did some holds, it didn't really seem like he was working in ROH mat style. Again, wouldn't want him to. He's not, that's not what he was doing in 2003. That's fine. Um, but it just, I don't know, it just didn't click for me, um, You know, Funk did – you know, he tried. He did a moonsault. He suplexed Punk off the apron through a table. He didn't bump, which, you know, good. He shouldn't have. But, you know, all that stuff. I appreciated that he went for the moonsault. Um, You know, he did some some good stuff where, like, Punk was attacking him with a chair and Funk was like, oh, you can't hit any harder than that, Punk. You can't hit any harder than that, you son of a bitch. All that stuff. I, and then um, at one point, Gabe was like, "I wouldn't mind seeing this end just right now," and I was like, hmm. <laughs> "Oh, oh!" And and, <laughs> that then was a good D- sign. and then and then Doug was like, "I have to agree with you." Um, <laughs> but right after that, I thought the match sort of hit its peak, where like Punk did the Funk spinning toe haul. he did the figure four, and Funk ke- kept reversing it, and it got to the point where it was overkill. But then it got to the point where it was like almost like good overkill, um, and that was probably the best part of the match. Um, you know, and Funk keeps making the ropes, uh, and then Punk won't break it, so the referee disqualifies him, which is—I don't know—I don't think ever Not a good really end did. to a match. Um, but <laughs> especially uh, a hardcore match.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> he made it a hardcore match,
2: right? And like of all the things to end a match on, like. But also, I don't think that's ever a good finish. I don't know. No, I, 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 I can't think of a situation. Um, but. Yeah, I, All things considered, you know, they tried, there was a few, there was like about a five-minute stretch where it got kind of dramatic, but I just thought it was kind of lame. I don't know.
1: Keith, um, what did you, like, have you gotten to see Terry Funk alive a lot? Because I feel like maybe some of the, like, the charm of this is just how much you like the novelty of Terry Funk wrestling CM Punk, or maybe even seeing that live, like, it, are you... It,
0: It's 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 I I had seen Terry Funk a few times beforehand when he worked in WCW and when he worked in ECW for shows that that in Chicago uh, or shows in Philly and Chicago. Uh, And, you know, it's something where, you know, Terry Funk, to me, you know, as someone that, you know, became a wrestling fan in, you know, like 1986, 1987, the thing that sold me for Terry Funk forever will be the feud that he had with Ric Flair. Like that feud in 1989 is one of my favorite. Like that's that's at times I, I will like at least once a year I have a tape of Terry Funk's 1989 run in world championship wrestling and i'll watch the crap out of it just because it was just he was such the amazing heel he was so wonderful in his role and he was very good he could hang with rick flair you know uh that was 1989 this of course being 2003 he just you know even walking to the ring you sort of just sort of like you know was he potentially hurt going into this and the match was fine. And I felt like with Raven and Carino, it was something where with the fact that ROH basically sort of came up from the ashes of the end of ECW and our, our video looking for a product, you would expect more of an ECW-style match here, but this one and also the Raven and uh, the Raven and Carino one were sort of slow-moving with hints of the ECW but never reaching that full ECW extent, you know? And it was, you know, it, it was fine for what it was, but it definitely seemed that it wasn't necessarily what either guy wanted during the course of the match, and that, that stuff happens, you know? And it's, it's you know, him doing the... Uh, you know, basically uh, doing that the 59-year-old moonsault and missing punk. just It seemed to get even worse after that. And it just, you know, there was just a bunch of things. I, I liked Cabana coming in and doing a nice little run-in. But then just the finish was the finish was the finish. You know, it's something where, okay, well, I guess we're just going to throw this match out now, guys. So it was uh- what it was.
1: Uh see I'm of I'm of two minds at this match. I'm very conflicted because I I forgot, Keith reminded me. I think it's important to note Terry Funk was 59 here, so almost 60 years old. And this match it was in a way it was a smart match because everything in this match you could tell was it was all tailored to what Terry Funk can do at 59. Right. The, the whole first part, half of the match is brawling on the out, uh, mostly out the outside of the ring. Punk takes a couple big bumps. You know, he takes a bump over the barricade. He takes the bump through the table. And, you know, Punk, meanwhile, hits Terry with a chair because Terry can swear at you and take a chair shot to the back. So it's things he can do. Then Funk does a big moonsault. Punk avoids it, but, you know, Funk still lands. Gabe says on commentary, and I think this is true, it was the first moonsault Terry Funk had done in three years. So not since he was 56. Wow. And, uh, from there, the whole match is like a completely different match where once he misses the moonsault, instead of it being a brawl, the whole match for the second half is just Punk putting Funk in submissions for most of the match, like figure fours, things like that, step over toehold, Funk screaming and selling, and then eventually Punk just doesn't release the hold on one. I, I, so on one hand, when I watch Funk, I mean, Funk's an all time legend, like he's One of those, like, duh, like, they're not even debate legends. Like, the Forrest Gump of wrestling, he was in so many places, in so many styles, where they were huge. Like, everywhere he went, something huge happened. And when you watch him, he is still so good at the little things. Like, he's great at swearing at punk while he's getting the crap beat out of him. He's great at selling. Like, there's a point in the second half of the match where he stands up, and he does this sell of, like... His leg is giving out from under him, and he falls back down, which is just such a cool sell. He he just is good at like, the emotion, knowing when to look at the crowd, when to engage them. But at the same time, he's a 59-year-old man. And he's not just a 59-year-old man. He's a 59-year-old man who's wrestled for decades. And he everything he does is labored. He it's sad watching the first half because he keeps having to get in and out of the ring as they kind of fight in and out of the ring. And you can tell it's hard for him to like go from a standing position to a prone position and vice versa. He kind of reminds me of like my mom in her, who's in her sixties, probably a few years older than funk was at this point. Like sometimes you need help getting out of off of the couch. Like there's times where he needs to grab the ropes to help get himself up. And it's, it's sad in that way. Like I, I guess what I'm saying is I was torn in this match between half the time thinking it's crazy that Funk could still do this much at fifty nine and the other half of the match saying Funk shouldn't be doing this at fifty nine. Like it's 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 admirable in some ways and it's sad in some ways. And, when did your
0: mom restart uh, when did your mom retire the moon salt?
1: Uh probably around sixty one, I guess. Okay. But well. She calls me satchel ass a lot though, so have that in common. Um <laughs> It's a no, term of endearment, but yeah it, 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 I just don't know like it, i I still don't like obviously, funk wanted to do it, and he got paid uh his price to do this, and but the thing that also bugs me is like funk super considered one of the geniuses of wrestling and and booking and like not booking, but just knowing. Like wrestling logic, punk, a very smart mind, gabe, a smart mind, the fact that between the three of them, this is the best finish they could come up with like it boggles the mind they couldn't up with couldn't come up with anything more inventive than this but it's like, it's hard
0: sometimes when in a case like that where it necessarily it wasn't like that they really needed to that either guy really needed to quote unquote lose here, you know, but at the same time you know i I honestly think it could have been something where the match was hampered because they knew going into it that funk wasn't going to be, you know, like it wasn't Terry Funk from 1997 barely legal, it was Terry Funk plus more time added to him. So, yeah. well,
2: well let me ask about those things. Let yeah. me ask about, about the booking logic cuz like is it just like the Terry Funk can't job mainly just because he's Terry Funk and that would just be wrong? Like was is there any other reason why is, or is it just like a matter of just respect for oh. who he is?
0: it's probably a little bit of respect for who he is and it could be also be a case where they brought him in once to potentially do a shoot interview he never necessarily went back if he sits there and loses the match I mean it definitely helps Punk but at the same time it wasn't something that Punk necessarily needed during the course of that time Like, but it's not something where they would want to bring Terry Funk back to get his revenge a year later when he's 60 you know yeah. for a nice 60th anniversary match so it's, it's one of those things where at times you might book someone and it's sort of figuring out okay with well, what how do i how do i want to sit there and have this guy how does this guy fit in does he just fit in for this one show and that's it or do we sit there and do a long-term storyline with him? and in, in a case like this it's something where it got the nostalgia pop with and you know and i think with having dreamer come out after that i think that helped as well because people were weren't pissed any as much about the lack of a finish here
1: Right. Yeah, and I and I think that there's a lot of validity to that especially when you go back to that observer quote where you know Dave who was in regular communication with the Ring of Honor guys was saying like this is basically their one shot with Funk. They can't really afford him. They made it work because they thought well we'll do a shoot interview too. Like you can't do that every time you bring Funk down. Well, you could. Well, I mean, Terry Funk probably has good stories, but
0: No, oh, he's got a great stories. Yeah. Man, 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 it's excellent. But but I I, I think I You know, as we're recording this, just to give you the time frame, uh, the hell in the cell is finishing up right now. And they did a a non-finish in the main event because of the fact that why does anyone need to lose here where we could sit there and, you know, just add another step to the story. In this case, though, it's not, you know, all three guys are there. They could sit there and do that stuff. So, you know. I in general in general my thoughts on this were I, I I feel that Terry was injured and Terry still did the booking and then that, that explains the match we got I remember after the show like wanting to sit there and you know I knew I had known CM Punk from uh, mid-American wrestling up in Milwaukee back in the day and I just remember he just walked by and he was in a huff like something like you know just wasn't happy with the night or anything like that Terry Funk though nice as heck he was on the other side of the street and I was going into my rental car he's like terry can i get a picture he's like sure and he ended up walking the street with you know and he was had a pair of glasses on but the glasses were sort of falling down on him sort of looking like benjamin franklin and (laughs) literally he's walking across the street not looking left or right to see if there's any cars coming or something like that so terry funk almost got hit by a car coming over to me to chat with me and take a picture
2: (sighs) oh my god
1: too much the time man- on that ranch. He's not used to the city life, Doctor Keith.
2: Now Terry Terry Funk by two thousand three was one of the people who owned Philadelphia. So I don't know about that one. <laughs> it was
0: well the still. I, I it could have been Jasmine St Clair in that car. It's
2: true. <laughs> 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 now let's <laughs> now let's watch it here. <laughs> Um, This is going public, sir.
1: It's interesting that you say that Punk was kind of in a huff because Punk later, um, I researched, I found a shoot interview he did in late 2003 where he had just done this match. They asked him about his experiences, CM Punk. Punk said that working Terry was fucking awesome, was his quote. Punk says he's beaten himself up about the match, though. He says he was scared to hurt Terry, who he says, while he's tougher than shoe leather, he's also fragile with his bad knees and the like. He's mad at himself for putting on the figure four wrong at one point during the match, which, yes, if you do watch, most of the time he gets it right. One point he puts on a pretty horrible figure four. Um, Punk then tells the story where he says, the night before, me and Terry were in MLW, and Terry asked Punk what they were going to do the next night Ring of Honor. Punk says, he said, well, Mr. Funk, I thought we'd wrestle. Funk said something to the effect of wrestling. That's a good idea, you son of a bitch. I thought we'd play tiddlywinks. <laughs> and then Punk says he, Funk, that Terry stayed quiet for a while. And then in front of Punk, he grabbed Mikey Whipwreck right in front of him and started asking Mikey Whipwreck who he was wrestling tomorrow night. Punk says, I think Terry was ribbing, but I'm not sure. But in, at the end of the day, Punk says it was an absolute honor to get decked in the mouth by Terry Funk, and he says Terry absolutely loved wrestling me. So, yeah, I mean, I think, fun. you know, you could
2: tell Punk was mad because, you know, Punk is young, and all of his matches in ROH are big deals. To Terry Funk, you know, this match was like, you know, I'm sure he tried his best, but this match was very low on the scale of important matches in his career, so who cares, what, you know, really, whether it came out well or not. He knows that he worked hard, and the people liked him, and that's probably all he needed.
1: And something about this too is uh, something I've gotten from listening to these this Punk shoot interview and reading interviews from him is he really appreciated the Raven feud, but he was also kind of like itching at this point to kind of wrestle the athletic matches all his all his cool friends were doing. Yeah, like I think after this he he goes on to an AJ Styles match and he says that he told AJ like I really need this match like after wrestling Raven and for so many times, and Funk, like, I, I think even though it was doing a lot for him, his career, I think he was also felt like, I want to do what I'm seeing all up and down the card, and obviously with guys like Raven and Terry Funk, they don't want to do that kind of match, and they can't do that match, that's not their strength, but Funk was probably kind of going, shit, I just, why can't I wrestle like AJ Styles is right now, but anyway. He'll get, he, he'd get his chance. <laughs> yeah, he will like, the next show, so um, oh, oh, the other thing I—I just—I forgot to mention this. Gabe did knew, must have known that the ending wasn't going to be seen as good because he tries to telegraphic early by saying that Ring of Honor officials warned the ref to stop the match to, early, like don't let anything happen to Funk. Don't if things get too dangerous, don't hesitate to stop the match. So they're really selling the—they're really selling the idea that like this is not the same as any other match. Like we've told the refs to be extra careful with grandpa terry you know he has to which is again it's a little bit weird when he's in a big match but i mean it does play that terry was a 59 year old man with really bad knees and after the match punk will not release the figure four colt cabana runs in he pleads with Punk to re- punk to release it which punk does but then colt shoves punk he acts mad and then he puts the boots to terry himself he puts him in a figure four um punk starts stomping him or whatever Raven makes the save. Then Tommy Dreamer prevents Colt from leaving. Tommy Dreamer shows up. He runs back into the ring. Colt does, I guess. He takes a Raven DDT and a Terry Funk stunner. Funk hugs Tommy and uh, Dreamer and Raven shake hands. Big ECW chant that turns into a Ring of Honor chant from reading Keith's reports. Keith might have been one of the first guys to try and turn that chant to a Ring of Honor chant. Good on you. Uh, Raven and Funk leave, and man, the box starts playing. Dreamer gets on the mic, he says, he did, he said, um, Tommy gets on the mic and he says, he never got a chance to thank Terry Funk for all he's done for ECW and wrestling. Really? Like, you don't have his phone number? You've never had an opportunity until now.
2: He never um, had a chance to do it publicly, I guess, is what he yeah. meant.
1: Uh, so Dreamer says thank you and leaves. In a way, I thought this was cool. In a way, I thought, like, the end of this was all about Tommy Dreamer and ECW. Like, it was a little bit weird. Well, at yeah, the
2: end. there's a part of me that's like, all right, enough with the ECW fetishizing. But there's, that's also me talking in 2018. And in 2003, you know, in the, that Philly crowd, I think still really, really wanted that ECW fetishizing. I yeah. mean, it's still almost two years before One Night Stand. So, like, people hadn't really gotten it out of their systems yet. Not that it's totally out of their systems even now, but, like... Well, you know this. I think the the wound was still raw enough that they couldn't get enough of this stuff in that town. Um, also,
0: also think about it though, guys. If you're sitting there and trying to build to a bigger building, let's bring in the ECW fans that maybe have been to a show for a while. With you know, like uh, uh, Steve Corino versus Raven. CM. Yeah, like like those kind of matches to sit there. Uh, Terry Funk is also wrestling on this show. So it was very ECW heavier than than a lot of the other shows to sit there and maybe work up to that bigger building.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think Gabe did a good job for the most part of not of using ECW guys without coming off as like an ECW tribute promotion that a lot of promotions at this time We're kind of going for that vibe. I think this was maybe a little bit over the line, but, you know, it's not unforgivable. I think for the most part, Gabe really walked that line very well. But finally, that just leaves us in terms of matches with the main event, which is Samoa Joe successfully defends the Ring of Honor world title, defeating Christopher Daniels in via pinfall in 15 minutes, one second after he hits an island driver. I thought this match was really good. I um I wouldn't put it quite on the level of the best matches that we've seen this year from Ring of Honor, Matt, like the Homicide Joe match or some of the Paul London stuff, like the match with Danielson. But I put just on the notch right below that, like really, really good match. And it's pretty simple. It's the first half, two-thirds of this match, is it's Joe mostly dominating, but Daniels always has the right moment to make a comeback. Like he there's a lot of moments early on where like Daniels will hit two or three moves and then Joe will just hit one and that completely knocks Daniels down. Like just really selling that hey, it's gonna take Daniels like four times as much offense to do as much damage as Joe does with like a quarter of it. And then Gabe on commentary really sells that Joe doesn't have the stamina edge, that he'll get tired maybe. And then two thirds of the way through the match, finally Daniel starts hitting like a string of offense where he's not getting countered. He hits a ton of his big moves. There's some huge near falls where he hits most of his big offense. Like there's one famous near fall where he hits the angel's wings, and the ring be- the ring guy who the guy running the ring timekeeper ball. timekeeper. <laughs> thank you, <God>. guy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the time guy. Um, he rings the bell. He gets fooled by a 2.9 count, and Daniels and Joe later said they were actually happy. That was a legit goof, but they both felt like that made the match better because it freaked everybody out and made them think maybe it was a real thing. And in fact, Steven DeAngelis has to get on the mic after and say, like, the match continues because they legit fooled the timekeeper. And yeah, and just big moves. My one complaint about this match is the crowd is on such a high for the final near falls for Daniels. They really want him to win. He's such a baby face here. And then Joe just does the choke. Daniel survives. He hits Inseguri. He hits the Island Driver. It's over. And it felt like, almost like that Moth Samoa Joe match we watched a few shows ago where the crowd's on such an emotional high and then you cut it off so quick. But then again, that's part of Joe's character, which is, If you lit up even for a second, he'll just kill you. Like, if you hit five moves in a row but then take a breath, he'll come back and just destroy you. Well, on the other hand, it's just... You could kind of feel like... It's not like the crowd didn't love the match, but you could tell, like, they were so excited, and then Joe wins, and it's just that kind of... That silence afterwards, like, oh, he's done it again. But still, really, really good match. Just these two really meshed well together, and... Uh, Keith what did you think about the match
0: I absolutely loved it live Uh, watching it again was just was excellent Uh, I think a lot of people you know were thinking for seeing a title change here unlike the first of uh, Samoa Joe's title defenses it was something where they felt that Daniels had a shot they didn't realize in foresight the destiny and prophecy of Christopher Daniels was to win the belt sometimes in 2017, but uh, that just goes without hindsight. But uh, yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the match. I mean, Joe Joe was always a great champion and a whole lot of fun. But I think the crowd sort of felt that this was you know the best chance that Daniels had at that, and it's something where you know. The guy that doesn't shake hands, the the leader of the main heel organization here within the company, incredibly solid worker. I mean, Chris Daniels is is, is the guy. And just it was it was so much fun. And, and then, you know, the 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 issue with the timekeeper and such, I think, really added that as well, where everyone was just like, ah, oh, that's got to be it. Like it was something where it was just the craziest near fall that I had ever seen, where it was something where they actually, you know, where you've seen near falls where they sit there and like, oh, it's two and a half, like where it just like was like, wow, like just up at that right period of time where it was just just crazy. And just the follow ups like these two guys just worked extremely well together just it was it was a whole lot of fun i mean it wasn't i agree with you guys that it would maybe wasn't like the best match of ring of honor in 2003 but my god was it was it something like just they 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 flowed so well and perfectly here uh joe getting the choke out at the end when we're reversing the move was wonderful it was just it, re, it reminded me of how great that samoa go title championship run was so, I mean, just an uh, outstanding performance by both guys here.
1: Yeah, Matt, where did – I mean, maybe we don't want to give away too much, but, like, where are you kind of thinking this ranks in terms of the big 2003 matches we've seen? Oh, I, ha- I am not prepared to answer that question. Oh, yeah. let, let, Nate, but, we'll leave that for the end of the awards, but yeah. it's probably safe to say you probably like this too, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, I, I feel like pretty much exactly the way you felt it. It was just, like, barely a notch below the best matches of the year. Um, you know, maybe like the second best Joe match of the year behind the homicide match yeah. s- so far. Um, and what I really loved is that it felt like such a main event. Like it, it you know, the, just the, the you know, that quote, big fight feel it had it. And what I really thought was smart was these two guys came in and they knew like, all right, this, this is a long ass show. And so we're going on at the end of it. And fortunately for them, the crowd was super hot for it because they really wanted the title change. But they were smart to say, all right, we're not going to, like, bring him down and bring him back up. We're just going to go balls to the wall. And that's what they did. You know, they started the match right at the bell. Joe kicked Daniels in the face. You know, they just did all their big spots. The timing was perfect, like you said. Daniels was pure babyface, you know. Um, They had a little bit of stuff with – Danger and you know the like Joe dragged her into the ring and you know stuff like that. But really, it was just a classic you know David versus Goliath situation, where where Daniels was sort of like hoping that Joe would punch himself out, and they did all the big moves. And you know this was one of Daniels' best performances, I think, in ROH uh, up until this point. And you know Joe was being you know a high end Joe performance as well. I thought the crowd was really really helpful in terms of making it feel special. I, la- I didn't mind the finish you know like with the way you did you know I think sometimes it's good you bring the crowd all the way up and then you deflate them you know not every not every match can have the ending that they want but the one critique I would have about the finish is maybe you know when Joe reversed the last rights into the choke that should have just been the end right there instead of having that one extra like get to the ropes hit the island driver. Especially Uh,
1: because that was the one big move of Daniels that he hadn't hit in the match. Like, he hit every, he hit the best moonsault ever. He hit the angels' wings. Like, he hit everything but that.
2: Right. So, I thought maybe it was slightly an anti climax to just go right from get to the ropes, hit the island driver, it's over. Just get him in that choke, boom, 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 it's over. I thought that would have been a super dramatic ending. But it's a minor nitpick. Uh, I thought they did a great job. I thought it was a perfect way to close out this show. Honestly, I didn't think this was a particularly great show in the ring compared to other shows that we've seen. So I almost would say, as far as like an in ring, this kind of saved the show from that respect. Like it was a big show, obviously, but this was like the one really must see match on this show. And I thought they did an awesome job.
1: I also think this is a great match if you want to show people how athletic Joe could be, because it's not the offense he does, but the bumping he does. He takes um, Daniels. Uh, Samoan drop, he takes a Blue Thunder driver, he takes a Top Rope Rana, he takes his, like, Daniel's big modified Uranagi slam, he takes the Angel's Wings he takes a huge bump on a German suplex. Like, Joe bumps for Daniels like a guy half his size. And when Daniels was asked about this match in a shoot interview, he just put Joe over so huge. He said, like, there's not another guy in wrestling like Joe, and you can't judge a book by its cover because he goes, he is so agile and fluid. And, like, he, like Joe, when you watch him here, it looks like he goes up for things so light for Daniels, which when you look at how big he was even then... It's, it's, it's crazy, but, like, he was so agile here.
2: Yeah, and his charisma is just he's getting through the roof. Like, he's already, like, just presents like a star.
1: And this was also one of those move those matches where, like, this is one of those things I think really helped build Joe where it was, like, gutsy booking where, yes, the crowd really wanted Daniels to win. It felt like, a you know, that, that would have blown the roof off the place. But Gabe just has Joe win. And not only does he have him win, he doesn't, like, do any interference or any weird... Like, it's just very definitive. No, Joe's the better man, and we move on. So I, I thought a good booking, too, of just... That's, you know, it paid off. Like, obviously, Joe's performances were a huge part of what made him so big. But the booking of things like this... Like, he got some big scalps that got him over. And there's one story to tell from this match... And it's kind of a rib where apparently somebody found a I don't Dr. Keith, I don't know if you noticed this, but Christopher Daniels says that um somebody on this night found a picture of Christopher Daniels when he was younger and had hair. And they made stickers of them and stuck them all over the Murphy rec center. And then on top of that, they put one of those stickers on the Ring of Honor turnbuckle. And Joe and the ref during this match kept trying to get Daniels to see and he wouldn't notice it.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's tremendous. Uh, I remember, I actually do remember the stickers though. Now thinking about it.
1: For, for people who want to watch this, w- there's a moment in this match when Joe has Daniels in a Boston Crab, and you'll see the turnbuckle, and it's on the letter N. You can't really make out what the sticker is, but you can tell there's a sticker there. And Daniels tells this story where Joe throws him in the turnbuckle at one point during the match, and t- and Daniels wants to do some moves they have planned. And Joe's like, no, just stay there. And Daniels is like, okay. And then the ref comes over to Daniels and says, look at the end. look at the end." And all Daniel thinks is he thinks he's saying, look at the end, look at the end. So he's like, what are you talking about? And he like, not till after the match, I realized they put this sticker there of me with long hair and they desperately had wanted me to see it. But apparently there were stickers of him all over the building that night. But you could tell Joe and Daniel's were real good friends. And this is the kind of the more loving type of rib I can get behind. But that was the main event. We go to a couple post, a few little post-match segments. Um, After the match, Joe flips Daniels, the middle finger. He leaves crowd gives Christopher Daniels, a standing ovation and chance for him. And
2: Daniels did Uh, not have to wait to milk this one. They just, they they were ready to give it to him. Yeah. It wasn't Raven.
1: No. Yeah. It was not so Raven here. It was just very Christopher Daniels. We go back to Dan Moth and Bayonne to wrap up the trilogy. Uh, he says, "From what he's heard, Daniels put in a hell of an effort, and that was a three-count, referencing that timekeeper mistake." Moth says, "He'll win the field of honor; that'll make him a made man." Moth calls Loki a self-righteous, egotistical son of a bitch. It says, "When I come back, I'll hurt him." Moth then takes off his neck brace and says, "This is personal." He then struggles to stand and looks constipated. And that's the end of that segment. Cut ah. to backstage with the Carnage crew. They cut a usual promo about how their lives suck. DeVito's pretty sad. Loke tries to cheer him up. Carnage crew are coming for Special K.
2: I love the Carnage crew promos. I think Loke is like such an underrated promo, just in terms of getting over that storyline and being creative about it. Getting over the character, I mean, like I liked how he tied in the whip, the whipping that they did. Because like yeah. you know we get you know we get whipped at work, we get whipped by our wives. You know I I just think Loke is <laughs> very underrated with how he weaves all that together.
1: I think Loke's underrated. Period. Like you not know, no, for the sure. range level underrated, but definitely underrated. I agree. Um. Elsewhere backstage, the Backseat Boys are celebrating with their tag belts. Cashmere suggests they celebrate Atlantic City. Trent Acid is really excited about the idea of room service shrimp and hookers in that order. I think.
2: Yeah. The one thing I notice about this, um, Trent Acid has the thickest Philadelphia accent I've ever heard. Johnny Cashmere is at number two, but he's like, "We're gonna get the hookers (laughs) and the shrimp." Cactail, like I don't, I can I'm not doing the accent very well, but you know, it's like when you say, like instead of car, you're like the car, like that. That's a Philly accent, and Trent Acid has it all over. Just listen. Don't don't take my bad impression of it. Just listen to a, a Trent Acid interview. You'll hear it.
0: Hey, guys, do you want me to break some k for you guys? Sure. So so after the show, uh, I I went to the Oregon Diner and uh, went went to go get some food. The Oregon Diner literally was across the street from. From the Fred McMurray Recreation Center, and sure enough, the Backstreet Boys did not celebrate at a hotel with hookers or below any of that stuff. I believe they had like some omelets at the Oregon Diner across.
1: Do they at it. least uh, have shrimp
2: at the Oregon? I would not get shrimp at the Oregon that, Diner. I've never been wait, there, but you know, I would they, not they, get, would get would shrimp. Clams Casino. I'm gonna say yeah, it's probably better yeah. off at the Backstreet Boys celebrated with omelets.
1: I was just going to say, the Backseat boys are risk-takers, and what's a bigger risk than ordering shrimp at a diner in the middle of the night?
2: (laughs) I said
0: they are are tag-team specialists and risk-takers.
1: And then finally, we end the show with Colt Cabana's surprise, which is the very first ever Good Times, Great Memories backstage segment. Colt is wearing a tuxedo t-shirt with the sleeves cut off, he has a big, like, kind of looks like it belongs on a talk show curved table with a framed painting of a squirrel named Twiggy water skiing on it. Uh, please, a... Hold
0: on, hold on. Please show some respect for Twiggy, the water skiing squirrel. Because he is, without a doubt, one of the uh, you know, I you say what you will about the 8th wonder of the world or ninth wonder of the world, but possibly the 10th wonder of the world <laughs> is Twiggy, the water skiing squirrel. He's
2: also he... one of the icons of ROH. <laughs> Yes. Absolutely. I, 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 he's up there.
1: Yeah. It's crazy, because Homicide had to win a match to become the icon of ROH. Twiggy just had to water ski. That's
0: right. But, uh, that.
1: Colt says, this will be the best five-minute segment in Ring of Honor history, but it's only five minutes because Rob Feinstein was too cheap to give him more time. Uh, Colt says, Punk, CM Punk will be on later, but his first guest ever is Julius Smokes, who shows up with Benny Blanco and Slugger... Colt can't understand what Smokes is saying, and says that Rob Feinstein is the man since he owns Ring of Honor, and is the man trying to hold Smokes down.
2: Smokes Col- well, Smokes also goes blah 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 blah, blah and uh, and Cabana's is like, I'm sorry, I don't speak Irish, which <laughs> which I, I
1: appreciated. Colt asks what the Rottweilers are, and in response, Julia Smokes sings, and I wrote at this point, this reminds me of me trying to do my first podcast, because like Colt's trying so hard, and I mean, that's part of the joke here, but um, <laughs> Colt asks if Slugger has anything to say, Slugger doesn't, Smokes gets offended and leaves, Colt says he's out of time, he just got the word from Doug, and we'll get to Punk next week, which becomes a little ongoing thing that they build through the rest of Colt's run. And,
2: you know, when they asking about the Rottweilers, you know, Smokes goes on some rant about let the gates of hell open, the Rottweilers, ah, like, you know, <laughs> one of those. And uh, you'll get to hear more of that, but it scared me because the gates of hell are going to open. That's <laughs> so, scary. Uh,
1: Dr. Keith, what did you think about the show as a whole, like revisiting it all these years later? I know this is the one you mentioned wanting to do a long time ago on Twitter. I noticed people were saying, hey, I'd like to do this show, and I penciled the UN in, so – What did it think what was it like after writing about it, seeing it live, seeing it again?
0: I I think I think being there live, I I was excited for it, but I I definitely feel that it wasn't necessarily the finest moment of Ring of Honor in two thousand three. I mean, there was nothing on the show that was quote unquote awful, but there was nothing when you think about those early ROH memories, there was nothing on here. I mean, other than, you know, uh, you know, other than Christopher Daniels getting that shot and coming so close close to it. There's nothing on here that particularly stands out uh, other than, of course, the three Dan Ma promos, including the fact his hatred now has fueled him from his apartment with the beautiful scenery and ferns to basically come back early and not caring whatsoever and has actually healed him. His hatred has healed him Uh, Which is really says a lot about the the good healing power of hatred. But uh, in general, after watching the show, it was one of those things where it was a fine show, but it wasn't anything that really, really stuck out as being like a a cornerstone legacy ROH show. Like, uh, hopefully, the next time I'm on on here we're talking about the first Chicago Ridge show as I have a poster of it that's hanging up right by where I'm recording right now. Uh especially the extreme three way dance uh with Raven, Jerry Lynn and Justin Credible, which didn't happen because of the Rob Feinstein thing. And uh <laughs> but uh but yeah, it's it's one of those things where, where while watching it and reading through my reviews of it, it's something where, you know, there wasn't any any like I said, nothing bad about the sh- you know like the show was entertaining and enjoyable but there was nothing that would be like wow this is definitely a moment like the first glory by honor provided the you know like it provided us uh, joe and loki which i could watch forever and was shown for the most part on this vhs anyway so I, it was a win-win situation
1: <laughs> yeah they showed a lot of it um Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I think this was—it felt like a major show, but it didn't have maybe the quality you'd want from a major show. There was nothing on it that was bad, but like you were saying, other than the main event, there was nothing that you're going, "Wow, this is going to stick with me for a long time to come." But I think with the Funk appearance, you know, and the goodbye to Lori, and you know, the new tag champs, there were still enough things to make it feel like a major event. But if if you really are just a stickler for if you're not watching every show and re- revisiting it or you don't like have the significance of certain historical like title changes and things and appearances, like the only match you need to see is the main event. But I still had a good time watching the show. Matt, Like, what's the last word on this show? What did you think?
2: I, I guess what I – I'm going to try to look at it from a glass half full point of view, which is this was definitely not the best ROH show in the ring. Like there was – and some of the booking was suspect at certain points. But it says a lot, you know, because ROH is known for the, the company that has the great matches. And this wasn't their best wrestling show by a long shot, but it was, still felt like a really big show. And it says something that ROH has gotten to the point with its characters and its storylines that they could have a really big, memorable, important show that really wasn't that memorable or important in the ring. Um, obviously, the main event was really good. Like that was that was a great match, very much worth watching. But otherwise, this is a long show with not a lot of great stuff in the ring, and it still still felt good and important. So I think that actually speaks well to ROH. I did miss Homicide, so in his honor, I'm uh, the last thing I'm going to say is I'm going to sing the song that Julius Smoke sang during Good Times, Great Memories. Oh my God! <laughs> which is Rup. which is. My name is Julius the Devil's Son-in-Law Smokes and I represent the East and West Coast and the Dirty South
1: <laughs> Oh yeah, that's good. Uh, I almost want to end right there, but That should I be th-
0: it, guys. I mean honestly, like I'm I'm sitting there just doing the kill kill the kill the show. Like that's but it. Like.
1: I, I think we have to uh give some plugs. I think as always, at Trevor Dame on Twitter, at MayorMGF, You can find us on Pro Wrestling Only Message Board, Figure Four, Voices of Wrestling, ROH World. Um, but I think most importantly, we need to plug our guest who did such a great job today. Do you have anything you want to plug beyond AAW? I know you have the big Jim Lyman Memorial Tournament coming up, which is yes, a, a yes. big tournament.
0: Oh, way too big, because, you know, (laughs) really, there's no wrestling tournaments going on at all this month. We decided to have a little tournament right in the heart of Chicago in beautiful Logan Square Auditorium, and that will be, I believe... Uh, September uh, the last weekend of September as I cannot remember the date off the top of my head right now because talking with you two fine fine gentlemen has blown what little gray matter I have left in my <laughs> mind yes it will be September uh, Friday September 28th and then Saturday the 29th we're doing a delightful 4 p.m. matinee show uh, 16. Uh, a, we are doing a delightful 16-man tournament. Uh, we recently announced uh, Shane Strickland versus Ray Phoenix in round one, which I'm really super looking forward to. Uh, some news, uh, of obviously, upcoming about this tournament shortly. We'll have a tag team title defense by the team of wrestling, uh, David Starr and Eddie Kingston, uh, facing the team of Jake Something and Kurt Stallion. Uh, Swan versus Trevor Lee, Sammy Guevara and Trey Miguel, and what should blow the roof off of Logan Square Auditorium? Moose uh, versus Sammy Callahan For more information on AEW, definitely check out aewpro.com. And uh, yeah, dude, guys, this was this was. T- tremendously entertaining I, I felt it's like listening to your podcast where i'm just people at work are looking at me funny i'm saying <laughs> they're saying i'm trying to talk to
2: the guys that are on the pre-recorded podcast leave me alone but, uh, <laughs> well, well now you get to talk to us and yeah. listen to us sing which is even better
0: i i, I did not <laughs> expect do well. the, the, the singing aspect of it but uh, but i but i uh, i think i think i want to leave it with this is uh as much as I feel that, you know, 1990s, All Japan, uh, ECW, like as much as those have helped mold me a- as a wrestling fan, I think Ring of Honor for the modern wrestling fan really owes, uh, I-, I think the modern wrestling fan owes a great uh, d- uh, deal of gratitude. Uh, to Ring of Honor and to this time period for really putting over independent wrestling. And I really think it's very important. And I think it's sort of vital. I think you guys are doing community service work uh, by doing this podcast to revisit these shows because, I honestly, they d- definitely deserve revisiting. Although, you know, they might look sort of aged now that we're, what, 15 years removed from it. But at the same time, it's 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 definitely... I, I'm glad that there are... Multiple ROH retrospective podcasts, and more importantly, I'm glad I was a guest on this one with you guys. So you guys do a tremendous job, and please keep up doing the Lord's work and watching these shows, so I can sit there and remember what faded memories I have of this as I get older.
2: Thank so. you so much. That is that. Thanks. That actually like legitimately means a lot, and I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I appreciate you sticking this out with us, um, doing your homework with us, and uh, and yeah. and listening to us ramble for three plus hours.
1: Thank you so much, and. Like you seriously were just a great guest. So, yeah, thank you everyone. We'll be back with Tradition Continues. Ring of Honor goes to the Baltimore area AJ Styles versus CM Punk and Jay Briscoe versus Samoa Joe. So, that should be fun. And we'll see you next time.